Attention FM DJs in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep I'm ready. begins now. I'm ready. I you are not ready. I have never seen you this com- discombobulated before a show. <laughs> I have been ready to You haven't drank your coffee? Call. You forgot your key card? I know. You're running around like a chicken with a head cut off? <sighs> discombobulated. Is discombobulated a fake Rube Goldberg-esque word that no. became a real word? No, no, no. I'm not saying oh. it's not a real word, but I'm saying... But I, here's what I'm saying. It, it, like, it doesn't derive from anything. It's not like when you say... Um, it's not like disheveled. Although nothing really ever is sheveled. It's only disheveled. Ignore that stupid observation. Discombobulated is a word like cattywampus, though. You know what I mean? These, like my wife is constantly doing that. These sheets are all cattywampus. I'm like, well, I... Sorry? Whatever. There's cattywampus. There's uh, discombobulated. There's catty or kitty corner, depending on... Uh, we need one more. Catsup and ketchup. I think that's a totally different kind of observation, <laughs> but still funny. But I did. But we learned the answer to that, though. Uh, catsup is anything is tomatoes and you know blah, 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 whatever the other ingredient. Ketchup is vinegar. Rick, why aren't you starting the show with a movie clip? Here's the thing about that, Sarah. I'm glad you asked me that. Yes, I forgot my key card today. Uh, yes, I am discombobulated. Yes, I'm running a little behind. Yes, uh, all of these things are true. Well, you know, I can here's, always help you out when you no, forget. No, things. here's how would you help me out? Don't do that. Now, here's the thing. I've got three different things here. I've got uh, something from Tombstone. I've got something about germs. Or I've got Chris Berman. So it's not that you're underprepared. You're over. I'm really overprepared. I've got too much content. Has Rick Emerson gone too far with his show preparation? Uh, and I think people are now calling in with a fourth word like discombobulated. Oh, like uh, facetious? No, see, that's... I don't know what you, you mean, like this? discombobulated. This doesn't discombobulated sound like a discombobulate. fake word? Oh, okay. Doesn't it sound like a like a fake novelty word? You know what I mean? Like cattywampus. Cattywampus isn't a real word. I mean, I know we use it, but it doesn't seem like it's in the dictionary. Is discombobulated in the dictionary, do you think? I'm pretty sure because it, it has a definitive meaning. It means out of sorts. I suppose, but I mean... Okay, well, I gotta look it up now, and then we're not even—we haven't even started the program. Hold on. What's wrong with you? Okay, hold on. You look up discombobulated. I am. I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look that's up. That's my P.S. That's my favorite word in the world. Discombobulated, really? Uh-huh. Has the program officially begun? No. Oh. I'm gonna look up cattywampus. This is actually the Dennis Miller show, Tim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani's gonna pull it out. Uh, discombobulate. No. Cattywampus. To confuse or disconcert, upset, frustrate. Now, the where are you completely... seeing that? This is from dictionary.com. It is in, it is in, it is in at dictionary.com. Mm-hmm. Discombobulate. Does it give the um, To throw into a state of confu- confusion. Of the word, um, does it describe how the word came to be or if it's a derivation of something? No. Okay. It does not. By the way, you just did an interesting little human thing there. You did, you, 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 you Oh, the looking noise? The... Yeah. Yeah, as you're looking for something. You know what that is? That's, a, that's, that's when the, the wheels are turning. That's the that's the Microsoft, like, working. That's the progress <laughs> bar or, like, the Macintosh, the little hourglass or whatever on the Macintosh. All right. Hourglass. Whatever. What do they do? Is it the watch? What is that? What's the little... What's My the... stuff happens right away. <laughs> okay, no, its origin was 1825, between 1825 to 1835. It's Americanism, and it's a fanciful altar of discompose or discomfort. Excellent. Well, of course it's a American. A fanciful altar. That's my favorite statement ever. And discombobulate is a totally American word. There's no 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 French person's ever come up with disc. That's a completely American word, and it's righteous. All right. Uh, okay, cattywampus does not appear to be a real word, though. There is... And here's, interestingly enough, uh, Google doesn't give an alternate spelling for it either, which means that there is a given spelling 
of cattywampus. C with a K. No, C. I spell it with a C. C a t t y w a m p u s. Cattywampus, which sounds sort of vaguely Indian when you think about it. No, I spelled it K a d d y w o m p u s, and there's a diction. There's a definition. Dictionary.com. Wait, hold on. And no, Tim, the show hasn't started yet. Are we saying that we all have different spellings of cattywampus? Okay, please now to spell without thinking about it. Cattywampus. Go. Well, I spelled it wrong. But don't just. How would you spell it? Gut gut check. Go. K a d d y w o m p u s. Interesting. Tim, cattywampus. I've never heard the term before. Oh, that's a lie. I learned it from a Tim Noah song called Cattywampus. Is it a regional thing? It must be. I've never heard it referred to anything. You've never heard these, uh, why, uh, somebody's messed up my leaves in my front yard. They've gone all cattywampus. You've never heard that? No. Okay. I would spell it C-A... I did spell it, actually. Google C-A-T-T-Y-W-A-M-P-U-S. Let's start the show. Let me take these phone calls first. Oh, I on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hey, yesterday you were talking about things that, that should make a comeback. Oh, God. Yes. Okay. Now, yesterday you were, you were talking about the commercial uh, Avoid the Noid. Uh-huh. Okay. Th- that They will never have that commercial ever again, and I'll tell you why. Why will they never do the Noid commercial ever again? Okay. Back in 89, this was a there was idea. a guy by the name of Kenneth Lamar Noid, and he held up a... I'm, I'm nervous. I'm he, nervous. He's just Garrison Keeler. And his name. And that man's name. Annoyed. I'm sorry, sir. I know you're nervous. We don't mean to poke fun. Oh, he's nervous. He's nervous. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm listen. He, so he held, held up. Domino's at gunpoint outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Outside. And he held two hostages. Oh. That's so he, uh, And listen, this is what he was asking for. He forced them to make a pizza. He wanted $100,000. And he wanted a getaway car, plus a copy of the book called The Widow's Son. I don't understand what this has to do with them never bringing back the campaign with the little claymation character. Well, listen, the guy wigged out. You know, you think you're going to bring something back to the radio after somebody wigs out like that? No. No, you wouldn't, sir. Okay. Then I have another factoid for you, which is kind of old. Sorry, Sarah. You did this. I did this to us. Yes? Okay, you guys were talking about that booze from uh, Vietnam. Yes, from Vietnam. Okay, I know. Uh, or the Nam, as some people call it. I know a Vietnamese Finnish carpenter. You know a Vietnamese Finnish carpenter. If he's from Vietnam, how can he be Finnish? <laughs> You're funny. He does Finnish work. Oh, I see. He's not carpentry. from Finland. Hold on no. a second. Can you hold on for a moment? You bet. How bad an idea was this on the scale of one? <laughs> Sarah's actually just slumped over lifeless in her chair. Okay, so we got to move this along here. You knew a Vietnamese Finnish carpenter. And Finnish. he was born there in, in uh, Vietnam, Vietnam, so I asked him about this booze stuff that you guys were talking this, about here a couple yes. months ago. And he says it's actually for medicinal purposes. Depending on what, what critter they put in the booze. Uh-huh. For instance, he told me that his dad had uh, joint and, and bone problems. Yeah. So he drank a, uh, a bottle of that stuff with a little bird in it. And he hasn't had uh, joint problems since, and that was like 10 years ago. You know what else will solve that is wearing an onion on your belt. You know what? That's a crock. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. You are not allowed to pick up any more phone calls right now. <laughs> Until you I start, start the show. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and now on with the show, the Rick Emerson Show. 
What are germs? Germs are tiny, tiny little creatures that want to kill you. The human body is made out of many yucky parts, and it's important to keep germs away from all of them. Germs are everywhere, on the inside of windows, on pencils, on apples, in the U.S. mail, between your piggies, and especially on dirty, filthy cowboys. Bicycles are another breeding ground for germs. Never, ever touch a bicycle with your bare hands. Germs can enter the body in a number of ways. Whenever you get a railroad spike impaled through your head, germs have easy access to your brain. Even a tiny cut or scrape can be deadly. As soon as you're injured, immediately cover the open wound with crazy glue to keep the germs from getting in. How else can we fight this menace? One thing you can do is go to your doctor and have him look up your nose to see if there are any germs hiding there. When you take a shower, be sure to wash everywhere, especially the really stinky parts. And make sure you wash your hands 30 or 40 times a day, or else a giant talking bar of soap will appear in your bedroom one night, and no one will ever hear from you again. Always burn your clothes immediately after wearing them. Whenever possible, have your dinner prepared inside a hyperbaric chamber. Rinse your mouth with hydrochloric acid after every meal. And if all else fails, run. Run for your lives before the germs get you, too. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps this is fate today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. in today, 18 seconds after the hour of 11 and this the month of February in the year. That means I get to turn a page on my serial killer calendar. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't even know who February is. January is Charles Manson. I'm going to go up during the break and change my calendar. My life is just that exciting. Uh, anyway, in the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of 
AM 970, Solid State Radio. Thank you for coming by, making it part of your listening day. Uh, it is uh, Friday, and welcome to uh, Day 12. It's 503-733-2970. Now I'm just getting people who are sending me emails, the entire subject line of which is just a weird word, like, for Quakey. It's 503-733-2970. For your comments, your clarifications, your conventions, your two cents, your bits of gobbledygook. 503-733-2970. Subject line to this email. Jesus, if that didn't take a long time. Well, it's what we do, sir. That's the kind of unpredictability that is the uh, hallmark of the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie the Chin, Bristol, standing by, ready and willing and able to uh, pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the, the whatever, the what have you. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com, sarah at 970.am, tim at 970.am, or uh, Richie with a T at 970.am. It is uh, Friday. Thank you for being there. And uh, stuff. You know, we took like nine minutes to start the show. That was nine minutes in which I could have actually filled out my show matrix. I've done nothing. <laughs> it is a completely blank page. Nothing there. And you know, the weird thing is, all that information about what's coming up in the program is presumably in my brain. But I don't, it's like I can't do it because it's not written on the page. What happened to you this morning? I was just, you know, it's one of those days where time sort of crept up on you. Like I had a mm. meeting and then I was doing a thing and I forgot my card. Uh, you know, which just sort of puts you in a weird sort of... It's like when you leave the house and you realize... You know, do you ever do this? Do you ever get to work and you realize you don't have your wallet? And it's not even that you really need it. I mean, I guess unless you get pulled over or something. But it, you don't really need your wallet some days. You know, like maybe you got some cash or maybe you got lunch with you or something. But it's just... It's just the not having it with you that throws you off. Even if you're not going to use it, not having it with you, you just sort of feel like you're out of the groove a little bit. It really is tempting to play Bill Pullman again so I can do my uh, Matrix here, but I'm not going to subdue. That would just be stupid. That just wouldn't make any sense. Well, Bill is always here for you. Bill, Bill if Pullman. If you need him, he's right here. Like almost no one else. Pullman in a box is standing by, ready uh, ready to uh, to ease my pain. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, well, coming up later on the day, we do have CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins, who will join us to uh, talk about the uh, so-called debate last night. Which was really just like one step away from Barack and, and Hillary just giving each other back rubs all night. It was really weird. And I'm pretty sure that I saw them. I might be hallucinating. I'm pretty sure I saw them hug at the end. Did they hug? Yes. And he Did whispered hug something it out? into her ear. I'm going to kill you and eat your spine. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary was on Tyra this morning. It was the strangest thing ever. Oh, Tyra Banks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't, did, she have, did she still have that show? Yeah. I didn't know she that show was still on the air. Oh, I'm thinking of what's it. Um, it replaced Maury Povich, which replaced Cheaters. So that's just kind of my default. Wait, so Maury Povich doesn't have a show? I think he has a show. It's I just don't have to by next week. Oh, yeah, it's just, but it's just not on the air here? All right. You know I who's going off the air? Around. Montel Williams. Thank God. Hey, I, I like Montel. I've in 20 years. I like Montel. I don't watch the show. I like him personally, though. I do like Montel. He seems like See, a good guy. See, I didn't mind guy. the show, but I dislike him personally. What's that about? Why do you dislike him? I know. I've seen interviews with him. He just seems like a pompous ass. Well, he's, you know what? He, he does have a sort of, uh, he does have a sort of, uh, I don't know, he's got a little bit of a swagger to him. You know, he's like a military guy, I think. I think he was in the military. And That's he's got a little always, bit of... Yeah, he has those military reform, like, you know, shape up or ship out totally. song, uh, shows. Yeah, no, he uh, no, he does He does have a little of that the whip, you into, whip you into shape kind of a thing going on. Anyway, so Hillary was on Tyra Banks this morning. What was she doing? She was just, you know, 
talking about Chelsea and about running for president. It was genius. Talking about kittens and puppies and Seriously. panties. Like, I'm like, way to go, Hillary. She knows exactly who she's mar- targeting. I mean. Did you see what her next thing is going to be? She mm-hmm. mentioned this last night. She has played Time Channel. Is it the Lifetime uh, or Hallmark? It's Hallmark. She bought an hour on the oh, Hallmark no. Channel. That is genius. I'm saying she was just like one of, they went through like Hillary Clinton, like her uh, hairstyles through the years. And Please tell me about... that at one point Tyra called her girlfriend. Oh, I think she said girl a lot, okay. but not right. girlfriend. All right. But Hillary was very, very warm, very funny. Yeah. Not at all like she really is. No, she knows that she she knows where her bread is buttered. She really does. No, last night, and we'll talk more about this later on, and we'll have some sound. We'll talk to Lisa about it. Um... Uh, Tim will undoubtedly have his observations about last night's so-called debate, but there was this great moment at the end when she just, she is unashamed uh, about just pimping herself relentlessly. Because at the end, <coughs> Burmy, Wolf asked her some question. Wolf Blitzer said something about, so, you know, what do you think about rainbows or whatever? He just asked her some question, and she completely disregarded the question and then gave, I swear to you, like a 45-minute plug for her hour-long, she was calling it like a town hall meeting, but it really is an infomercial. This hour-long infomercial that she has purchased on the Hallmark Channel. It was so shameless. It was that it actually the audience actually sort of warmly applauded it because it was just such a relentless whoring of herself. So, way to go, Hillary. Excellent. Uh, so we'll talk to Lisa about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't know what else is happening. I didn't write it down. Uh... All right, Scott Daly will have a review of something or other. I don't know what it is. Uh, we have the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Oh, oh, and d- don't forget, uh, so to the, the end of the spam contest is is drawing near. Uh, you must have your entries in by the end of the show today. Uh, by 3 p.m. today, <coughs> your spam sculpture entries must be submitted. So go to 970.am, <coughs> 970.am. You can get that done. I'm going to have a little water. I'm sorry. I'm going to be gross. You can have your entries in the Spam Sculpting Contest entered at 970.am. I was looking at some of them this morning, and I know I keep saying this, but they're really, really good. And it, we've we've held off on describing any of them uh, because everybody... It's not just how do you sculpt the Spam, but it's also what are you going to sculpt that's coming up with the idea. So, man, a lot of the sculptures that are coming in are really uh, pretty groundbreaking in terms of what people have decided to do. And there was one of them this morning that was just flat-out amazing. So, uh so we're not gonna, we won't talk about it quite yet, but you got till the end of the Did day. Can I get to see any of them? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. In fact, uh, maybe after the show or Monday, maybe or something, I'll have them all assembled for you guys. And then, the, then we'll put them on the website, and then a week from Monday, we'll have the three finalists in, and one of them will get to go to uh, Vegas to see Spam a lot at the win. So uh, anyway, get those submitted at nine seventy dot a.m. Got to do it by the end of the day. Um, let's see. Oh, and next week. Uh, we'll talk more about this later on. Next week, we're going to be uh, giving away tickets to see Rush uh, at the amphitheater at Clark County. Rush Limbaugh? No. Oh. Uh, Rush the band. Uh, the uh, They used to call this Win It Before You Can Buy It. But win I guess it Before You Can Buy a Weekend. I guess that's be uh, It's Win It Before You Can Buy a Triple Play Weekend. I was hoping you would do that. A Block Party Weekend. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think that the phrase maybe has become passe, though. Maybe we don't do that anymore. Because it's no longer win it before you can buy it. You know what they call it now? Beat the box office. So you can now beat the box office uh, for rush tickets. Not today, but next week. Uh, so they are coming uh, to town. They actually don't go on sale until a week from Saturday. So next Saturday, but all next week, uh, we're going to be giving away uh, rush at the amphitheater at Clark County Sunday, June 1st. So we'll have tickets to rush next week. So be listening for that. All right, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification today. 
Uh, Britney's motorcade to the nuthouse cost LAPD $25,000. Microsoft wants to buy Yahoo. Hillary and Barack make nice on TV and don't really debate. Hillary laughs and smiles. Uh-uh. A burglar steals 60 Minutes reporter Leslie Stahl's bling bling. Did you see how much? Yes. Yeah. More about that later. It's going to be tough going for all you trekkers out there. We know you listen to us all the time. Uh, snow has shut down highways throughout the Northwest. And <laughs> Poland has uh, agreed to host U.S. missiles on their soil. Did you see that? Uh, the that... Russians going to be very upset. Did you see that thing in China? Uh, with the snow, has apparently shut down the entire country. Yeah. Does it not snow there most of the time? I mean, I don't really not know that the, much. the climate in and China. And they have a lot of people to deal with. Yes. I just saw this photo this morning. I mean, it was it was weird. It was like a train station, because I guess the Chinese New Year is happening. Uh-huh. And so everybody was, like, getting on their train to go see to go see mom and dad. Uh, and then the snow came, and it was just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people just standing in train stations, doing nothing. It's all very weird. It was like they were sort of waiting for further instructions from their glorious leader or whatever. So, uh, all right, that's all coming up. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello. Hi. I was lost. <sighs> it was awesome. Have you and Chris was, Paddock already had a confab about it this morning? We had several conversations. Like, we'd stop talking about it, and then he'd leave for a few minutes. He's like, but what about that thing? And then we'd talk for, like, another 15 minutes, and then he'd leave and come back. It was so great and the best thing is, is that i've turned um two of my friends onto it right so um they're gonna they have a huge tv so we're gonna watch it over at jay and lisa's every week it's actually yeah jay lisa chris and i all you are actually assembling out. lost parties together it was amazing it's just, it's such, just such a great show i'm not gonna babble about it but anyway. i'm trying to think if i've ever actually had viewing I parties have, for a television show i have not been this excited about a show since 90210 that is saying something. That is saying something. That, it's been years since I've been so excited about a show. Like, I was sad halfway through it because I knew it was almost over. I can't I can't remember. I mean, I used it in the early days, like the first season or two of The Sopranos. Laura and I would have people over to watch The Sopranos. We would do, you know, it sounds stupid, but, you know, you, like, make, like, 40 pounds of lasagna and everybody watches, you know, Tony Soprano for an hour. I'm trying to think if I've done that with anything else, though. I don't think I've watched... I think I'm just such a solitary creature, though, that I just want to watch it myself. But I know Twin Peaks was like that. I know the, I remember the, you know, back in the day when Twin Peaks was on the air and everybody would have these sort of viewing parties, which is that's the first show I remember that happening for. And I'm sure it happened with other programs, but the, the Twin Peaks was the first show I remember in modern times where everybody got together to watch it. Uh, I know a lot of chicks did that for Xena, uh, but I mean, in terms of, but in terms of the broader culture... I am. I think that maybe Lost is one of the shows to bring that whole thing back. Yeah, so. it was always now two and zero for me too. I mean, yeah. I remember the collective shriek of girls in my dorm when I was a freshman when Dylan McKay came back to oh yeah two and zero. You could hear screaming all over the campus. It was so lame. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great show. I'm very much looking forward to next week. And I guess next week's supposed to be. Um, Chris was telling me this, that it's supposed to give you like a big insight as to what the island is. And well, they, but they, they've mastered but they say that, that for years. But, that's, but they say that with every episode. I mean, no, no, no. Don't don't get me wrong. The West Wing became the same way at a certain point, where every episode was going to be the one that changes everything. Or they would do this. This is the West Wing. They would do this trick for a while. Whatever you do, don't miss the last. Five minutes, you know, which was the same crap that always happened, you know. But it's, but they, they but they knew if you put it that way, that I would sit there and watch it like a moron. So, mm-hmm. but you, you know, when I set up my DVR to record something, I always set it to record until two minutes after the show because sometimes they run late and then you miss the end of it oh, and man. you don't know it till you get oh. to the very end. Lost last night was on from nine to ten oh two. You they, know why? They do it all the time. TiVo. They've mm-hmm. totally done that because of TiVo. And but TiVo, to their credit. 
has hit back. TiVo has. When you record a program now, TiVo actually throws up a window, a confirmation window, says, would you like to start and end five minutes early? And you go, yes, TiVo, I would. Thank you so much. Good boy. And, you know, ha, ha, and then it runs away. So it, that, it really is good because I've done that, you know, and the killer's name is, yeah. and then it switches to, like, I'm Jim Cramer, you know, and I'm just going to no. <laughs> All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Morning, Rick. What's up? Hey, my wife and I were discussing last night about the writer's strike. Uh-huh. Are soap operas affected? I would imagine everything that has to be written by, by guild members is affected. Tim? Yes, if they, if they are a part of the writer's guild. I mean, I can't imagine soap operas wouldn't be affected, but that's an interesting question because they churn through an amazing amount of content on soap operas. Yeah. That is a really good question. If somebody out there watches, like, Guiding Light or General Hospital or whatever, um, I would And be... also, a lot of these shows are still owned by the sponsors, like Procter & Gamble. Yeah. So they may have a separate deal with Procter & Gamble that has nothing to do with the network that it's broadcast on. Well, that's an interesting question. So now, so now I want to know. So somebody who is aware of soap operas, we promise not to laugh at you, uh, call up and tell us how the soap opera world is dealing with the writer's strike. I hadn't really thought about that. Because more than almost any other type of programming on the air, they churn through an amazing amount of content. Yeah. Even more than something like The Daily Show. So, I didn't know. We'll find out, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, I had a question about that uh, first caller. The guy who called and took Yeah. Her, yeah. Was was he about 400 pounds and had just got off the treadmill, or I, I just don't understand why I know, he was I, I think he was a little nervous uh, about being on the air, and so it was coming out in the form of hyperventilation. Ah. Which, which you know, which is, anybody remembers back to high school trying to call that one special girl to go to the spring formal with you. I mean, that you know, that is sort of, a, some people get that way when they're nervous. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, uh, full-time listener. Thank hey, you. The best thing about that first caller was his use of the term factoid. So I've got three factoids for you. Okay. One, what a horrible serial killer, serial killer calendar you have. Charles Manson never even killed anybody. Yeah, but he's Back. sort of, you know, but he's a, he's a, he's honor. He's sort of he's a, a father mastermind. figure. He's, yeah, he's, you know, he's an, you know what it is? It's like how, uh. It's like how, uh, uh, what's it, like Bill Gates was given an honorary degree by, you know, from Harvard. He's well, an honorary can, serial killer. Anybody can tell anybody, tell anybody. Number two, it's no longer beat the box office tickets. It is elude the internet tickets. Nobody buys tickets at the box office anymore. And number three, Tim Riley should have his own news show. Thanks, you guys. Have a good day. Isn't that what this is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this really, we really okay. are. So, so getting back to this individual's question. <laughs> Okay. Uh, let's see. They had episodes at least two months in advance. And network executives uh, refused to say exactly how they're preparing the show and how much of the stockpile has been depleted. So they had two months' worth of scripts in advance. But that was like four months ago. Mm-hmm. And let's see here. Okay, some, some non-union writers have officially crossed the picket lines to work in recent weeks. Huh. Because, you know, the soap opera, that is, that is... Now, The Young and the Restless, which has a staff of more than a dozen, now has just three writers in its closing credits. So they would be non-union. It's, it's interesting when you think about it, because even more than other programs, that is the whole cottage industry. I mean, the soap opera... The so, I am fascinated by soap operas. I really am. Because I'm fascinated by soap operas just because they are, like many things, 
a sort of subculture. It is this, and it's this weird, self-contained microcosm. Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, you know, here's the thing that fascinates me, and I really do mean this. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to mock people who watch soap operas. I watch all kinds of crap. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, I'm really not. But you, when you stand there in the supermarket checkout line and you see like Soap Weekly, and it's like Drake's shocking decision about YR, and you're reading it, going like, well, who buys this? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anybody buying that magazine. No. And you, did you ever do this when you look at the magazines at Safeway next to the Tic Tacs and the D-cell batteries and you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out, and you can't quite tell without picking up the magazine and reading it, which you won't do. You're looking at it and you can't tell if they're talking about the character or the actor or both. You know, when they say, you know, you know, Janet's about face on General Hospital. And you're kind of going, is that Janet the actress? Is that Janet the character? Do the people who read this magazine draw a distinction? Or do they have some weird, or here's another thing, or is this sort of meta-viral marketing, like, even before the other guys started doing it? Like, in other words, do they create a whole sort of alternate set of soap operas by putting out these magazines talking about on-set squabbles and disagreements between cast members and actors and actresses as a whole sort of secondary reality-based soap opera? You know what I mean? It's I, I do wonder about that stuff a lot. All right. Uh... Any more soap opera observations? Uh, let's see here. Ratings for the day part have been in decline for years, with several barely hanging on. NBC has made it clear that Days of Our Lives may not be renewed when its license agreement expired. Which is when, do we know? It doesn't say. That would be pretty shocking. Mm -hmm. Hasn't Days of Our Lives been on for like 55 years? Yeah. What are they... What, okay, so does it list which ones are, are on right now in middays? No. Which, which soap operas? Because here's the ones that come to, my, come to mind. Days of Our Lives. All My Children. Young and the Restless, General Hospital. I can't think of any more. Are there any other soap operas that I'm not thinking of? Edge of Night, is that still on? That's, isn't that Johnny? Oh, that was the end. What was the one with Timmy? Passions. Passions. I mean, I don't know. Uh, the, the Bold and the Beautiful. Yes. Santa Barbara. Oh, that's long gone. Yeah. I think The Bold and the Beautiful is gone, too. Molten Beautiful is gone. It's amazing what, how much I know about crap that I've never really watched. Yeah, because that used to film at uh, CBS Television City with The Young and the Restless when I worked there. I remember that. And all The right. Price is Right used to all film at Television City. All right. Oh, wait. We have an answer here about soap operas. Hi, you're on The Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. Hey. I'm really embarrassed. The first call I've ever called The Rick Emerson Show into about a soap opera. Um, That's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, they, they are they're writers across the picket line, but there's also that thing that Jay Leno did with the Fi Corps where he, like, threatened to pay or what was that thing that he did to, to be a writer to like write without officially doing something wrong there's writers doing that too I think Tim talked about that before I think it's called FICOR FICOR what is that it, it's, it's financial core it, it's you give they, up full membership in the guild and withhold the dues spent on political activities to continue writing. Oh, I see. So you sort of, uh, you drop out of the guild temporarily, basically. You suspend yeah, you your guild up, you membership. You give up full-time membership. Is that considered scabbing, in your opinion? Kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah, Tim, Tim looks yeah, down his nose and at that. And like you said, too, there's only like one or two writers that are listed on all the soap operas. So all right, excellent. Which soap operas do you follow, Jessica? Oh, gosh. Um, a general hospital, really. But you have one life to live. You missed that one. One life to live. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know that one was still on the air. Yeah, and uh, Bold and Beautiful, all those things, yeah. But, Can we all agree, by the way, that the Young and the Restless theme song is the saddest piece of music ever it is. written? And they turn to, like, the, when the actors turn to the camera with those stolen faces. <laughs> totally. Cry. Sort of like a sad slow motion version of the old Love Boat credits. Yes. Where, like, your, your, your head is in the, the whatever, the, uh, the, 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 what was that thing? The life ring or the life? It was, yeah, it was the, it was the, uh. What do you call that thing? It's the, uh. Not the life preserver. The life preserver, but it was like the donut-shaped life yeah. preserver, and it'd be yeah. like Jeffrey Tambor 
like turning to the camera and like flashing his flashing the grin. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that's what they're all doing now. So that, that's what I heard. That and, and the writing actually is really kind of sucking. But that's uh, staffers on The Young and the Restless were told that the show will go on without the executive producer, head writer Lynn Marie Latham. Latham is known to be a strong WGA supporter and uh, producers prepare for her absence by laying off her assistants, cleaning out her desk, and assigning a Sony executive to work from her office. My question, though, is is are the, the actors are SAG members, right? So they're crossing the ticket line? Yes. Okay. So, I was wondering. That, so all the... They could be after it, too. You know, I, I really think the time is right. This is, you know, what with the success of our Christmas radio play, we were talking about that during the uh, the beginning of the show, that that Bill Pullman thing is now inextricably linked with the radio play in my head with Christmas because of that ghosts. That word should have no meaning for all of us. The I really think the time is right for there to be uh, a Rick Emerson soap opera, which airs once a week for about 12 minutes. That would be amazing. Like, uh, well, Carson used to do that. Car Johnny Carson used to do this great thing called The Edge of Wetness, uh, which is where he the camera would just pan to people sitting in the audience and he would do this really, like, horrifically overwritten, like, purple prose narration about... Uh, where he would string together this sort of ad hoc soap opera, and then he would just show the members of the audience who were purportedly the characters. And it was actually... It, I'm doing a disservice to him, but it was a really funny bit. All right. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, and no how, would, how did your first call go, do you feel, on a scale of 1 I'm to 10? I'm a little nervous, but I think it did okay. It, I actually called one other time a long time ago when so he who not... Still not be named used to be there and he was talking about how he'd go to the key and and the key you know where he's playing karaoke I, and i hung up because i was too nervous to like talk to you guys about oh it, so. excellent all right thank you so much all right you're welcome all right there you go. that's jessica we'll get lisa desjardins in just one second oh let's well that guy's gone so it makes it a lot easier ladies and gentlemen from someplace CNN Radio Correspondent. I think she might actually be at the DMV today. Uh, CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Hey, no, DMV was yesterday. I got the cat fix today. <laughs> so live from the veterinary clinic in uh, <laughs> wherever. So the right. wait, you have multiple cats? Yeah. How many? I, I know, you know, and I'm actually a dog person, but uh -huh. um, Jason grew up with cats, and we oh, got them as kittens. We named them after the characters from Rocky Four. And I'm training them to be like dogs. Please so tell me you. Them. Please tell me one of the cats is named Drago. Ivan. Oh, you are the coolest person who's ever lived. <laughs> you named your cats after characters from Rocky. So what? Rocky and Dr and Ivan. That's it. Rocky and Ivan. Yeah. That is so great. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and very frequently will be. You will lose. <laughs> I must break you. A lot. Yeah. Did you know that Dolph Lundgren went to MIT? What? No, I had no idea. Isn't that insane? That, that is crazy. I had no idea. He has that. he has like a degree in advanced something something smartified theory or whatever. It's it's kind of nutty. I was uh, he he apparently just put out you'll never guess a terrible straight to DVD film, and we were talking about. Uh, I see. I'm doing that thing again. I was I'm, I'm doing that thing. The, the, I'm, I'm being a radio listener. I was listening to some other guys on the radio actually talking about this, which in my head becomes we were talking about it. Um. But they were talking about Dolph Lundgren and how you kind of root for him as a as an actor because he seems like kind of a good guy and uh, you know right. and right. and they were the guy was like noting that he he actually was tremendously intelligent and had actually attended MIT which sort of challenges everything you know about the universe so in any yeah, event, no I I'm baffled I, I I yeah wow Ivan and Rocky that really is wonderful uh, <laughs> all right now so you have two cats do you not then have a dog. No, we do not. We, yeah, we we don't. We think the dog cats you can kind of ignore. You can sort of be gone for a couple of days. <laughs> Dogs really do take more work. Well, no, that's true. I mean, cats. The great thing about cats is they are cats are sort of like having 
like uh, one of those plants that they sell in certain stores that just live on air. That like you don't even actually even need right. to put like uh, you know with dirt or anything in it. Uh, all right, here. So, um, uh, okay, listen to this. Check this out. A native of Stockholm, Dolph Lundgren is a graduate of um, the Royal Institute of Technology. He has a master. Let me let me ask you this. If I were to ask you oh, this yeah. question. What does Dolph Lundgren have a master's degree in? Okay, he's gone to like a hundred different colleges. He, uh, okay, from the University of Sydney, he has a master's degree in what? Uh, electrical engineering. Chemical engineering, close. Oh, wow. He was awarded a, this is Dolph Lundgren we're talking about here. He was awarded a Fulbright scholarship to MIT. What? 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 <laughs> this is blowing my mind. This is blowing yeah, the wow. Up until now, the most I knew about Dolph Lundgren is I know in uh, you know the the Rocky recaps when they do sort of the Rocky lookbacks that Sylvester Stallone has said that Dolph Lundgren actually was like legitimately scary. You know when you when you get in the ring oh, with yeah. those teams that, oh, that he really you. was. You know, versus I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Versus Apollo Creed. Yeah. Well, because you know, Sylvester Stallone would be like that guy. I, I know I could. Anybody could take him. Well, because Carl Weathers is not a physically imposing man. There we go. Exactly. Uh, but okay, so um, yeah. Okay, he speaks five languages. What is going on? English. Are you sure? English. This isn't off Wikipedia, is it? It is, but it's all cited. That's the thing. I'm checking okay. it out right now, and it's all it's all like you know they, they've got sites for all of this stuff. Speaks wow. Swedish, English, German, French, Spanish, oh, and a little Japanese and Italian. <laughs> Good God Almighty. Wow. And, and he's avoided all of the, uh, you know, second-tier celebrity reality shows. And let me just say this. He continues to be the world's most perfect man. Completed mandatory military service at the Amphibious Ranger School in Sweden. He left this elite Marine unit with the rank of corporal. Jesus. And he's a third-degree <laughs> black belt in... Uh, in something karate, won the European Karate Championship in 1981. Okay, well, I got it. Oh, and by the way, he was also on the uh, modern pentathlon uh, team, uh, the, the team leader of the 1996 U.S. Olympic modern pentathlon team. <laughs> this is like we were talking about Chris Christopherson the other day. <laughs> and I was noting that Chris Christopherson, because everybody likes to talk about Chuck Norris, but really, Chris Christopherson is the greatest man, you know, in America, because that's a guy... I mean, he was a Golden Gloves boxer. He was a uh, Rhodes Scholar. He was a military helicopter pilot. He wrote Be Me and Bobby McGee. He was in A Star is Born. So, all right. Well, good God Almighty. I don't even know where to go from that. I feel so uh, inferior, like a one-celled organism over no, here. No, me too. Jeez, why, why isn't he running for office? How's I would vote, I, seriously, I would vote for right now. Right now. And he was, and he was, uh, uh, you know, and he, and he was in, uh, he was He-Man in the Masters of the Universe film. All right. That's right. So, that is the best reference yet. That is great. Let, let us now endeavor to talk about something vaguely relevant. Um, so uh, let's just work backward. So my brain sort of folded in on itself last night at the end when I saw Hillary and uh, Barack Obama hugging uh, yes. at the end of the debate, which, as Tim Riley noted, wasn't really a debate. It was more of a coffee chat. Conversate coffee chat. That's nice. It, yes, I mean, it, it was, was just so nice. And I know that I can often be. I was thinking about this last night, not to be too self-analytical, but that that I do have sort of these two, I think, warring sides to my personality. Which is one is sort of where I view politics as just really the ultimate competitive sport, where it really is just very much just like a just a, just a bloodthirsty competition. But but. As people who know me know, there is a big part of me that is sort of just a wide-eyed, idiotic, idealistic, you know, patriot. And it really was 
I think I, I have to say this really great and and but a little bit sort of bittersweet to see Hillary and mm. Barack being so pleasant and being so Thank presenting you. such a unified front last night because on the one hand it made you feel really good. I know it sounds so corny, but it, it felt it. I cannot believe that I am uttering these words, but watching Hillary and Barack last night, you really did feel all of that stuff that they've sort of said about uh, Barack over the last few months, where he makes you feel the you know the warmth and the hope and the whatever. And seeing the unified front last night, I felt that. But then you sort of realize that it is a little sad because they're just going to go out on the campaign trail and just start the heavy arms fire again. So you're internally conflicted. Part of you is sitting in that Roman amphitheater waiting for them to say, we who are about to die. Yes. That's, that's really what you're looking at. And you're part of, you've got one hand with the thumbs down, you know, for the gladiators that are not drawing blood. Yes. And then you've got the one hand for the thumbs up for, for, for Pax Romana, which I, is what we had last night. I, it really was quite extraordinary and i don't say that out of any partisanship or whatever it was just that especially coming off the heels of that mccain romney slugfest i know about that isn't that amazing and uh, you were talking also just sorry to uh, interrupt no go ahead i've got to mention even i was not happy with anderson cooper for really just uh kind of completely ignoring almost ron paul and mike huckabee oh yeah yeah "Uh yeah, whatever guys we'll get back to you not i mean well and especially (laughs) huckabee who, who, when he was given the chance to speak, Huckabee came off really well. Yeah, uh, big, and I think Ron Paul is well saying, you know, this oh, yeah. is silly. You guys are arguing about minutia here, and let's well, you know, the big picture. It's like I told, I was talking to Roop about this, and I said, you know, the, 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 the damnable misery of a guy like Ron Paul, and I know that people think I'm picking on him, but there's always a guy like him in every in every election. Um, that it, it's the guys who know that they have no chance of winning who then have the freedom to be the most plain spoken. Um, mm, that is true. You know, and so on the one hand, you kind of go, yeah, Ron Paul really says what he thinks, and he doesn't, you know, he he doesn't the soft soap it in any way, you know. But then so much of what he says just sort of reeks of of you know of nuttery. But I mean, but but but, but, he, but you get the sense that he's not coding it at all. He's giving you the real, the straight scoop. But um, boy, That's I, right. I, but to go back to last night for a second, just that, and I know that every everybody on earth says that, that it could never happen and it won't happen, and I and I don't know to what extent mm. external party pressures can influence these sort of things, but at the end of the moment, at the end of the debate last night when when Wolf Blitzer says, he asked both candidates, he said, could there ever be Obama-Clinton or Clinton-Obama as a ticket? And I mean, the crowd's reaction, like if the crowd could have picked them up and carried them into the White House on their shoulders last night, that has got that that has to resonate somewhere high up in the party, don't you think? You know, I think it absolutely does, but Again, maybe this will be another Fred Thompson where I was proven so wrong by Fred Thompson, but I, I just, it's very hard for me to see politically that being a perfect match. I think it's more likely if Hillary Clinton is the nominee than if Barack Obama is the nominee. Absolutely. I do agree with that as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I, but I, you know, there, but now we may see some pressure if she does get the nomination. Maybe we will now see some pressure from the higher ups in the Democratic Party because you're right. That was the biggest opening I've seen yet for that. And, and I think, I think, People who uh, help make these decisions happen are thinking about it more than they were two days ago. And I will say this. I do get uh, the feeling, watching, and this is just my gut feeling, which could be wrong, but I, I, watching it last night, I had the same sort of feeling that I had in 96 uh, when it was uh, Bill Clinton and Bob Dole. I just feel like, uh, just as for a while the Republicans had the wave, they had the momentum, I think most 
objective observers would say at this point, there is a feeling, not a certainty, but there is a feeling of inevitability on the Democratic side right now. And I think mm. even the Democrats themselves sense it, which is why they put up such a united front last night. I think that there is this sense that, like, look, it's let's just be honest, it's going to be one of us. Um, I think you're, you're 100% correct on that. I think I think that's right. And I think that's why you I, more and more behind the scenes in the Republican race, the Republican establishment is starting to line up with John McCain. And I think it's because it's not that, that he's their favorite guy, but it's because... They're, they question Mitt Romney's electability, and they think John McCain, who's more of a moderate or seen as more of a moderate or at least a maverick, they think he might have a better shot. I, you know, I, it's exactly what you're talking about. And it's that thing of, again, the McCain it has this perception of being just such a straight talker, even though I know a lot of people in the GOP are don't necessarily uh, cotton to the stuff he says. Uh, at least he does sort of come out and say it, whereas Mitt Romney's just this weird, malleable freaky Stepford <laughs> robo-candidate guy. Um, is, is, and I, we're kind of getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves here, and, I, and I, we'll have to, uh, to, to go here in a few, but I, uh, uh, there is this, uh, there's sort of a belief right now that uh, Hillary has has the momentum in California, which is going to mm-hmm. prove tremendously important. Or is that is that spin, do you think? Well, it depends on which poll you look at. I mean, we know polls you know, haven't been the most reliable. We've talked about this before in this election, but polls consistently have shown her ahead, but in the last couple of days, Barack Obama, uh, in the polls that were taken after South Carolina, Barack Obama has closed that gap to within just a couple of points. But who knows? It's it's very hard to say, but I I think it's not. She was winning, like we saw in other states before, by double-digit points for forever and ever, and now it's much closer. So I it's hers to lose, but it, it may happen. He may be able to close that gap. You know what's pretty great is I, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday during the news hours. I, I love watching the debates, and when you see there was this moment uh, with the McCain-Romney thing where I love seeing when a candidate, you, get, you see that spark, the light goes on in their eyes when they realize <laughs> they have been given the chance to use the one line they have been honing for like three weeks. And there was this moment where... Mitt Romney thought, and it was the best kind of sort of alley-oop, where Mitt Romney thought he was going to score a real solar plexus blow. And he said, he was talking, referring to John McCain, and he said, he said, well, you know, anytime you're endorsed by the New York Times, you can't really be a conservative. <laughs> and, and McCain, and if you listen back to it, as soon as he starts to link McCain in the New York Times... You can hear McCain start to chuckle because he realizes that he has just been given the opening he needs. And McCain immediately comes back with, well, you should ask the leaders of the papers, the, you know, the two hometown papers, you know, if, you know, in your hometown, Mitt, who have both endorsed me. There's something like that. He's not saying it, I'm not saying it nearly that well. But he comes right back with that right. body blow about how Mitt Romney's own newspapers endorsed McCain. There was one of those last night. When Hillary made that great, and I know she's been saying this on the stump, too, Hillary had that great line of, it took a Clinton to clean up after the first Bush yeah, presidency. Yeah. It'll take a Clinton to clean up, clean up after this one. Which got, That was her biggest response of the night, was that line. Boom. Yeah, it, that, I think that's true. I, they, were, they were ready, and they, they were, it was almost as if the campaigns had said, all right, let's go after the Republicans tonight, guys. And they, also, Obama had that good line about uh, you know, Mitt Romney's not doing so well on his investment on the campaign trail. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Was, that was pretty good. That was You know, my, my well, other weird thing, that I think Mitt Romney has got a fantastic smirk, you know, whenever he's being attacked. Absolutely. That, that it's completely entertaining. And then also, I wish I had a stopwatch uh, that was timing how long it took Barack Obama to finish his glass of water because I think it was about a minute and a half. 
Because he was drinking out of a bone-dry glass of water for about an hour. <laughs> and it was like, you know, and because I, those both of Clinton and Obama, early on when they were next to each other in these debates, both of them have leaned on the water glass as a, as a serious prop when the other one is attacking or there's something that they don't want to be on camera reacting to. Is, is it the way to, to, uh, to uh, minimize or diminish body language? Yes, that's exactly. Oh, I've, I've got to take a sip of water now. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm not sure if Obama ever had water in that glass, but I know it was gone very early. Hillary, he, but he kept he kept raising it. And Hillary <laughs> has a sort of nervous reaction tick that she has developed, which is whenever anybody raises a criticism of her, she does this. She laughs at it. Uh, she she has it's this. True. It's true. That's right. She's she's sort of uh, uh, this method actress in that I'm not really sure that she has actual emotions, but she's learned what they look like, and so like when <laughs> someone. Like when uh, Wolf Blitzer last night made some comment about, he, he asked some comment, one of those, you know, on everybody's mind kind of questions where he says, uh, if you can't control your husband on the campaign trail, how are you going to be able to control him in the White House? Or words to that effect, which of course right. got the, That's exactly right. that got the big Arsenio like, woo, 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 from the audience. And, and, uh, and Hillary, of course, does that whole like, oh, oh, oh Wolf, you're such a kidder, <laughs> which she did like 7,000 times last night. So that's one of those little uh, ticks that's going to have to be polished off of her in the next little whatever. By the way, as we close this, I'd like to tell you that uh, more, uh, more little uh, Dolph Lundgrenisms here. So the couple, he is married to um, a jewelry designer and fashion stylist. And, of course, the couple divide their time between their homes in London and Marbella. They have three children, and his recent movies include such hits as Silent Trigger and Bridge of Dragons. So <laughs> there you go. So you knew, you know a little bit more about Dolph Lundgren and whatever than you did when you joined us today. So and much more. All right. Uh, are you on uh, on Monday? I, w I can be. I will be in Atlanta on Monday getting ready for the five hours of Super Tuesday oh. coverage with Tony Harris. It's all very so, exciting. You know, I, would be, I would love to hear um, advice from people on what we should do and talk about during those five hours. You mean like what, what would people like to hear on the radio during five hours of Super Tuesday coverage? Uh, you know, uh, my many radio consultants have told me that people enjoy hearing about the weather, Lisa. So <laughs> you got that or right. maybe an exciting recipe or two. So, uh, can do that. all right. Uh, have a fantastic weekend. We will talk to you early next week. As always, a pleasure. Great, Thank you too. There you go, Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic, wonderful. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? Huh? <laughs> Zam, I must break you. How cool is that? That her cats are named after the characters in Rocky Four. Not that just does like, make up for the fact that she has multiple cats. Not just well, they're not hers though. They're Sporberts. You got the, no. What's his that? is hers now. But you know what I'm saying. I'm trying to defend her, not a cat person. But, I mean, not just any Rocky movie. Rocky Four. That is true what she said, though. She noticed something that I thought I was the only one to notice. Barack was drinking out of an empty water glass all night. Uh, well, I mean, it's, you know, that he's just sort of raising it to his mouth as like a, as you know, like a, well, I don't want to be seen reacting. But, uh, yeah, he was doing the water glass, and Hillary was doing the nervous laughter, you know? And, so, and it was always when Wolf Blitzer would ask some question, that made her uncomfortable. Like her, her response to uncomfortable question is to try to laugh good naturedly. Like, um, here he laid a great trap for her last night too. He said, um, he's, you know, he pointed out that she voted for the war resolution. You know, she voted to give Bush war powers, uh, and and that you know, the, the, and then of course you know we're in this big imbroglio, and and she, you know, she was trying to justify it by saying, well, look, it was explained to me that President Bush would use the authority one way. And, you know, based on what they told me, which is a fair enough explanation. She said, like, 
look, like, you know, it looked like it was a bad scene, and he's the president, so he ought to have a little latitude. We didn't know he would go so completely bonkers about it. We gave him the, uh, you know, the opportunity, but then he completely abused the power we gave him. And so and Wolf Blitzer just said flat out, he's like, does that mean that you were naive, you know, uh, for, for granting, Bush, you know, like, you know, were you just taken advantage of? Were you naive? And uh, you could tell that she was really uncomfortable with the question because her first response was, <laughs> it was just so awkward to watch. All right. Fantastic. Wonderful. Excellent. Genius. Give me a good day. I can just feel it. Just sense it. It's in the air. Like so much stuff. Sorry, I'm banging my pen. I'm kind of going crazy with the pen there. Put that down. Take a break. Tim, have ye news for us? Yes. Wonderful. All right, around the corner, we come back. If you're on hold, hang tight. Uh, we will get your calls around the corner. Tim Riley begins the noon news hour. Uh, later on, other things of interest. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Rick Emerson radio program. By the way, Sarah, whenever you get coffee today, okay, we'll have to get coffee at the same time. I don't have my key card. I just locked myself out again. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Hello, for the love of God, let me in. No one let me in. I walk up. I had to go through the office. Everybody knows why too. You look like a scandalous character. Uh-huh. I'm just saying when you do that, when you come up and then you kind of go up to where Dave is and you sort of look at him and shrug, like everybody knows you've forgotten your key. Uh, well, let's do these calls, then we'll begin the news hour. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi. Hey, how you guys doing? Hello, what's up? I, well, you kind of stole my thunder a little bit talking about the debate last night, uh, but after watching the two primaries this week, it definitely seems to me like there's a, a definite palpable sense of desperation coming from the Republican candidate. Yeah. Uh, kind of you know, kind of in the same as in 04 with the Democrats, but it definitely seems like the power has shifted a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, do you remember, and again, lest anybody think this is just coming from some partisan whatever, in 04, you're right, in 04, the Democrats could not find their ass with two hands and a map and a flashlight and a GPS actually in the ass. There was no way, and Bush just, I mean, I hate to say this, but Bush just had all the power and the momentum in 04, and there was just no beating him. And this year, it's the same thing with with the Democrats. Man, the Republicans are hosed. hosed. Well, well, the Jesus people are staying home, and all the the, uh, the independents are going to the Democrats. Exactly. Well, and frankly, let's just call it what it is. I mean, the the, the, the appeal of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, two very non-traditional candidates, as I think they're calling it now. I mean, you just can't deny that. And the fact that they're both fantastic, you know, they're both they both look great uh, on the stump. They both, uh, you know, are really presenting themselves well in all of these appearances. They're not looking like bastards. Uh, last night, the, the best decision they made last night, and I, I am really curious about whether they came to this. In other words, last night there was no bickering. Like McCain and Romney just did everything but stab each other in the eye. They're almost like an old married couple in a counseling session. So, and uh, Obama and Clinton, it's almost like they have like a understated agreement to, you know, hey, you know, as the Democratic Party... We've already got one foot in the door. Let's kind of keep ourselves composed, show some diplomacy. That was my yeah. thing is, did they, is it an unspoken agreement? I should have asked Lisa this. Did they have an unspoken agreement? Did they actually, pers- you know, one-to-one discuss it? Or was there actually like a big meeting at some point where their people and her people were all in one room together, uh, you know, sitting down and kind of going, look, this this is how it's got to be tonight. You, you, well, that- and 
last night, actually, uh, with the last question that Wolf asked, you know, about the quote-unquote golden ticket. Yeah, the, uh, the golden Obama ticket. Answered, you know, maybe they had some kind of agreement to where, you know, because I, I think the general public kind of understands that it's going to be a Democratic president. Yeah. And looking at the two candidates that we have, it's really hard to discern one, you know, I, you know, I favor this one over the other. Yeah. They're really, you know, they're both talking about the need for change. Uh, you know, so they're, 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 you know, preaching the, the same, the same goals really. And so, uh. It's all very exciting. It, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, as a Democrat, I think we're just in a very good, a very good place. So, right. but I think McCain will definitely go down as having the best plan with the, with the newspaper. Oh, no, yeah. No, McCain's... Yeah, you don't want to cross McCain right now. He's got the momentum, and he hates people, so... You know who they, they remind me of? Mm. And I know you're a pop culture reference geek like me, but uh, if there was, say, a Romney-McCain ticket or a, a McCain-Romney ticket, uh, McCain to me kind of seems like Muttley to Mitt Romney's... <laughs> oh, you know, and thanks to that Hanna-Barbera guy, I've got the Muttley sound effect to play. All right, thank you, sir. I appreciate the call. He mentioned the name of one of my favorite songs. He said Geek Like Me, and there's this band called The Wonderstrucks who do this song called Geek Like Me. I don't know anything about that mm -hmm. band. Hi, uh, everybody, and you, and... Okay, we'll get more of these. Blah, 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 blah. Tim Riley! It's time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Okay, we have lots of stuff in the debate. We'll get to that in just a minute or so. But first... Uh, a lot of our listeners uh, are long-haul truck drivers, and they probably want to know what's going on in Oregon. The snowpack on Mon Hood was measured at 120% above normal, more snow on the way. Highway 20 near the Sandy M Pass remains closed as clues, uh, uh, they, well, they're trying to move the snow. And uh, government camp, the crews are plowing streets, lined with snow so high Tell me more that the these. signs are obstructed. Tell me more about these clues they're finding. I'm not going to tell you any more about those. Clackamas <laughs> County officials say they're spending $13,000 a day on snow removal. And that expense is likely to cut into funding for other important things that people in Clackamas County really, really need. Like, uh... Yes? I'm trying to think of what people in Clackamas really need, other than to be living somewhere else. No, I've got nothing. Now we have Interstate 90 over Washington's Cascade Mountains remaining shut down for a 70-mile stretch. Uh, due to avalanches, Jesus. they found a brand new one today, as a matter of fact. We could see potentially devastating avalanches in areas that haven't slid before. If these areas come down, they can bring large, full-grown trees down with them. That could take very long to clear. Wouldn't that be cool? Sounds terrifying. Well, you know, I, was, I woke up uh, this morning, walked out, and there's CNN uh, in the living room still from last night because I'm a loser. And it, I, was, I thought for a minute it was a local newscast, but it wasn't. Actually, CNN was talking about Snoqualmie Pass. Yeah. Uh, which I guess I mean it's just it's just chaos it's just disaster at that place and then of course you know parts of uh, you know Michigan are the same way but I mean it's it's bad they were showing like it sucked going to school in Pullman during the winter oh. because you you're trapped there you uh. couldn't leave for months like oh I want to go to Seattle you can't because the pass is closed yeah I mean it's just I, it, it was it was really terrifying it reminded me of there was one time I, I've told this story but there's one time where it's when they say the pass is closed I don't know how it is now but when they say the pass is closed it's not like it's I mean, it's not like you can't get on it, uh, it, it, right? You know, it's just like you were not supposed to go over it. And I think maybe they put up small barriers or roadblocks. But, I mean, you really could still go over the pass. You just weren't supposed to. And I remember sort of plunging on blindly ahead towards my doom over the pass once uh, when I was about 18 or 19 or 20 because I just, you know, 
I hate to use cliches like this, but I was just young and stupid, and and just was like, well, I got to get somewhere, and it was like a big sign, like pass, close, do not, and I'm like, ah, screw that. And, I mean, I'm in, like, a 1980 Ford Escort with bald tires. I don't know what the F I was thinking. It's amazing I didn't die. And just kind of going over this this, this closed pass just because. I mean, there's no way I should have done that. So, yeah, don't do that, kids. Oh, remember that billboard proclaiming, Welcome to Yakima, the Palm Springs of Washington? <laughs> it's backed by Interstate 82 amid the snow and cold weather. Uh-huh. The sign is owned by Larry Lucart, a Yakima developer and business owner. For 23 years, he greeted motorists at the Gateway Shopping Center. Then about a year ago, it was removed due to construction. Also to being inaccurate. But now it's risen again, uh-huh. this time in Lucart's Chinook Business Park, about a mile north of the old location. I've heard people say, who was the idiot that put that up? Well, it was me. It attracts the attention of tourists. Oh, by the way, there's the many tourists who come to Yakima. The developer is from Palm Springs, California. Uh huh. I think Richie Bristol's standing at the door. Hi, Richie. Do you need What's something? What's going on here? Hi, Keith. Oh, he's going to move Sarah's car. Oh, all right. It's in the way. Well, let's uh, amuse ourselves with some of these callers. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Thank you. Hi, Rick. Hello. Uncle Steve here. Hello, sir. How can I help you today? I'm fine. Hi, Sarah. Hello. And. Do I believe happy belated birthdays to Tim? Oh, how did you know that? We knew Tim. We, we knew, didn't but we didn't say out. anything about it. No, I, had it that. My, I had it on my trio, but oh. uh, I'm busy in the studio all yesterday, so I only caught bits and pieces. Hold on for a second. Tim, does it weird you out uh, that he had your birthday on his uh, on his trio? Yeah, my hair is standing up on the back of my head. Is it really? <laughs> for, the, for the very thought that somebody put my birthday on there. And it's somewhere in life. Portland, uh, somewhere in Portland, a guy's trio is buzzing, and he looks down, and it's because of your birthday. Somewhere. Actually, Rick, it's from uh, Lake Oswego, which is in, of course, Clackamas County. Well, you know what I mean when I say Clackamas. Let's be honest. Well, since <laughs> it's in Lake Oswego, I guess that's acceptable. Um, oh, by the, the way, born of the, of the yes. One of the parents at my kid's school has a bumper sticker on their car that says, Tim Riley is my God. We chat every morning. Does that freak you out as well, Tim? <laughs> if it's in Lake Oswego, I don't mind at all. I see. What I, if it I was in Gresham? That. Oh, yeah. If it was in South East East Park. If it was in my neighborhood, which I'll talk more about. My, lest anybody in Clackamas take offense that I'm railing on, you know, whatever. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I'll tell you something about my street here in just a second. Um, no, but just full disclosure, Sarah and I talked about this yesterday when you were not in the room, Tim. Uh, not on the air, but we went to a commercial break. You uh-huh. went off to, to get some news or coffee or something. Yeah. Sarah and I were like, so it's Tim's birthday. What should we do? And so, then, Tim, do you, uh, do you appreciate the fact that we gave you the gift of not acknowledging We gave it? you the gift of... Yes. Yes. We right. gave you the gift well, of solitude. Mm-hmm. I'm still older than you, Tim, so it's okay. Oh, okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, no, we, Sarah and I decided not to acknowledge because we Was knew that, that the it right would make you uncomfortable. I suppose. Yeah, I don't so like, instead, we'll just I don't do like it today. <laughs> <laughs> Can we all sing happy birthday no, to you and don't. clap? <laughs> Can we have a clown come in and go wah, wah? Well, the worst thing was when I was a teenager and my mom put my birthday on a cartoon show and the rest of the kids oh, in school. Oh, like a so, rambling rod kind yeah. of show? Yeah. And you think that's embarrassing, but how did the rest of the kids know if they weren't watching? Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, so, Mine okay. was on the Uncle Gus show. Uncle Gus. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, there was like a, well, there was Rambling Rod here, and then there was, um, Roundup. Was Roundup a different show? I'm trying to think, because I didn't grow up, you know, here, I grew up in Washington. Anyway, but there's every neighborhood or, you know, every community hadn't had that show. Uh, but so we talked about it yesterday, and we thought that we would just give you the, uh, the gift of sweet peace and solitude by not not. mentioning your birthday. I have a gift for Tim. I think at this time, we'll have birthday time, and we'll find out who's having a birthday this month. 
Uh-huh. Angus, is it your birthday this month? Uh-huh. Angus, why don't you Oh, that's Cousin right Steve here? filling yeah, in for Uncle Gus. That is, that is thing. Really? You yeah. spotted that he's an impersonator? Well, he fills in for Uncle Gus. Well, did back in those days. So were you in the audience? Yes. <gasps> and oh, Uncle Gus brought you up? Well, all kids. All kids who grew up in... New England at one point were on one of these shows. Oh, I thought you meant like she just put it on the show and he just said it on the air, but you were there. Well, I Did was you there. go by Tim or Timothy? It wouldn't be there. You say, hoping it's not true. There, there are only two clips from the Uncle Gus show. And you just Have you looked? Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Just to make sure. Wonderful. Good for you. Uh, were you hoping it was on or hoping it was not on? When you searched for it on YouTube, were you hoping it was not, not there? You were hoping it was But I was surprised that they had any of those because some of those are from the 70s. Those are from the 70s that are on there. Right, right. The, uh, uh, but they, like, there was, um, but that's not Uncle Gus, that's Cousin Steve. Wasn't it, didn't Romper Room do a thing like that too? Romper Room used to be on, uh, in Boston. But that, was it, now was Romper Room like a franchise? Yeah. Were there Romper so. Rooms in different states? Yeah. The, depending on the market. Yeah. Then we had some things that nobody, we had Boomtown. Uh, which was a, a cowboy and uh, another and a, his Mexican friend who lived together in a bunkhouse, which is really strange. <laughs> and there were real horses on that. Cowboy and his Mexican friend. Uh-huh. We'll be Nick, back after uh-huh. living together in a bunkhouse. We'll be back uh-huh. after this. And then we had uh, Major Mud, which was a guy dressed up as an astronaut. You have way more choices than I Well, we, I live next to Boston, so you had New no, Hampshire and Boston. And a big TV market. So yeah. you had two big markets there, whereas yeah. in, in Kennewick, uh all we got was like, uh, all we got was stuff from Seattle, uh, and only on one channel. There was a KSTW Channel 11, which in Kennewick we could get it. So we, we we didn't even have really our own stations. We had to, to watch the stuff from Seattle. So we had uh, Romper Room, I think, from Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, and that was it. I don't think we had anything local like that. Yeah, and of so course, we, had, we had Manchester, which only had New Hampshire only had one TV station, and we had all the Boston channels too because right. we live right on the border, so we got both. Excellent. All right. Well, so there you go. So just know that it was. It was noted silently yesterday, but then decided that we, we decided we wouldn't acknowledge it. Uh, so, well, thank you. Well, that's it's what we do or don't do, as the case may be. Uh, well, only two of those clips. So you're wasting your time looking. I have looked myself. Oh, by I'm the going way, to find it, Tim Riley. So speaking of so speaking of trash. So two things happened in my streets last night uh, because I don't want anybody to feel that I'm sort of singling out other communities for scorn. So here's here's my street. A now you know I've got this ongoing thing, which. You know, has been fun on the radio and all, but I really have to get rid of my Christmas tree at, at some point because it's just sitting out in front of the house. Um, so I'm going to flat out ask Brian Jones from CBS today when they empty this big dumpster. And if it's like on Saturday or maybe Monday, I'm going to ask him if I can just come and stick the tree in the dumpster. I mean, I don't care. The people will know it's me. I just have to get rid of it. And apparently it's very illegal to set fire to it in the street. So I guess that's not an option. But you know what I do feel better about? I felt a little bit better about myself last night because I was walking, I was walking Max. So I take Max out for a walk. And I look across the street, and the guy across the street from me still has his Christmas tree up in the living room. Lights, decorations, everything. I don't know if it's a real tree or a fake tree. Seems like by now it would almost have to be a fake tree for it to still be up. But, like, my tree is in the driveway, like I'm trying to get rid of it. Across the street, though, guy still has all of his Christmas decorations up in his house, including the tree, which is right up in the window, which means everybody can see it. So I'm trying to figure out if it's really kind of cool and or whether it's really trashy that he's still got it up. But it is kind of pretty. So late at night, when all the, you know, it gets dark and the street lights or, you know, whatever, you look across the street and there is like a little tiny window of Christmas in southeast Portland. And it's in the window of the guy across the street from me. And <laughs> That's so heartwarming. And so that I'm taking taking the dog up and down the street, you know, to do his business last night before I go to bed. And I swear to you, this is true. There's a woman. I mean, why would you even do this? You must have a sink or a garbage disposal. There's a woman 
walking out of, and I, I don't want to specify exactly where this place is, but there's this, it's not the building that Sarah always references, but there is a row of like really trashy, like really like bad downscale sort of. Oh, like St. John's. Well, I'm just saying it's a, I, I don't know for a fact that it's where the government puts people who have nowhere else to go, but I do get the strong feeling that a large percentage of the populace falls into that demographic. Anyway, I'm walking the dog, and this woman comes out with two sort of cylindrical, like, Tupperware things, but they're not Tupperware. It's sort of like, um, like that flimsy kind of plastic that, like, margarine comes in, but they're big. They're, like, I don't know, about eight inches high. Like, they're basically the dimensions of, like, a paper drinking cup, but bigger. Uh, so about eight inches high and it may be about six inches across. And she's got one in each hand. And I didn't talk to her, but I'm sort of like watching with Max. And she's like bringing these weird white cylindrical Tupperware things, like one in each hand. And she's walking at the front door, out over the sidewalk, to the curb, onto the street. And I look, and she then just leans over and dumps out I, 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 what I do believe was just like four or five quarts of like cooking grease, like bacon grease, just into the gutter, like not into a, I mean, I don't know whether it would have been better or worse that it had been into a drain, that drain that always has a picture of a dolphin that you're about to kill with whatever it is you're going to put down the train. Hi, kids, don't choke me. I live here, you know, and then, but it's like as you're putting your Pennzoil or whatever down the, as you're dumping your your winter's worth of antifreeze. So, I, I, it, it I sounds like you're walking through Alabama. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why she was doing that. I mean, she... That was just her way that uh, <laughs> generations of her folk taught her to do. Um, and hey. generations after hers will do the same thing as they live in the same location. And my neighborhood will reek of old bacon. Uh, so anyway... Totally oblivious that there are other places to live. Woman dumping like a gallon of bacon grease, like into the gutter of our street last night, about 11.30. You, Classic. So if you're walking down my street and you see a bunch of coagulated, solidified but white stuff that smells breath, like pork, breath. yeah, you, uh... That's really, really gross. Yes, it is. So, don't blame me, I didn't do that. <laughs> Anywho, here's Tim Riley. How are we doing in the search for that new house? But by we, do you mean me? Yeah, I me? drove by your house last night, and it's scary to even drive by. It really is. Uh, we're not doing so well. My wife has been out of the country, so what am I going to do? I, uh, I, I don't want to, I can't be that because she comes back and there's a big house with a red ribbon on top. Look what I bought you. There's, maybe uh, she's renting a place in Panama. She's well, so tired of Oh, man. She told me, okay, I'm sorry we're not doing any news here. We'll, we'll buckle down and get to some news here in a second. Uh-huh. She, she sent me an email, uh, the greatest email I've ever gotten. So she's in Panama, hanging out. She, it's her and a girlfriend of hers. They were kind of traveling around. So she's out at a restaurant or a bar or a night spot or whatever, and she, so she's talking to this guy at a bar, and she sent me this long description of it. She met the greatest guy, and I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but she met the coolest guy at a bar. He is a guy who, and, and please, you'll have to just trust me when I tell you that I'm not fabricating this or embellishing it for the radio. I have the email uh, if you want to see it. Uh, she, she meets this guy at a bar who, as she describes it, quote, learned all of his English from American action movies. His favorite American film is, it's called Hard Death, but it's Die Hard. That's apparently what they call hard, Die Hard in Panama, Hard Death. And so he's like, yes, I learned all my English from American action films. I love Hard Death with Bruce Willis. And so she's talking to the guy, and the guy's favorite phrase is, go to hell, mother effer, which is fantastic. I, want, I, I was like, put him, put him in your suitcase and bring him back so I can have him on the show. 
I mean, seriously, if that guy lived here, I would give him a job on the show right now doing nothing but sitting in the corner and shouting, go to hell, mother effer, in a Panamanian accent. Favorite movie is Hard Death with Bruce Willis. Anyway, here's Tim Riley. A 65-year-old Gresham man convicted of swindling real estate investors out of $400,000 as was sentenced to five years in prison. They say Gary Sparks used the money to court a 23-year-old male prostitute. He's convicted of aggravated theft and security fraud. He's a retired teacher and principal from Ohio. He divorced his wife five years ago to move to a trailer in Gresham. <laughs> oh, listen to this. A burglar posing as a construction worker broke into 60 Minutes reporter Leslie Stahl's fashionable Upper West Side penthouse, carting off more than $100,000 worth of jewelry and electronics. How much? $100,000. All right. Isn't she married? Who's she married to? Leslie Stahl. Leslie. She's married to somebody important, isn't she? I would imagine so with that kind of money. I like the notion that she can't possibly have earned it herself. <laughs> that was really funny. There's the notion that, well, of course, how else would this woman make any kind of money? No, I didn't mean it. Not... <laughs> the brazen bandit stole several diamond watches, gifts from admirers, pearl necklaces, earrings, gold and silver necklaces, and much, much more. In addition, a laptop computer uh, that, oh was also stolen from the 15th floor apartment, which overlooks Central Park in the West 7th. How does somebody even get up into a 15th floor... With an elevator. ...apartment? I wasn't talking about literally oh. the mechanics of moving from one floor to another. I'm saying, if you're Leslie Stahl, CBS Newswoman, correct? Yes. CBS Newswoman Leslie Stahl. She's a Stahl. former White House correspondent. If you have an apartment that overlooks Central Park and you're on the 15th floor in Manhattan, don't they have doormen and security and... Well, apparently he posed as a construction worker. Hmm. All right. So the doorman wasn't really doing his job properly. He gained entrance pretending to be a construction worker fixing the landmark building. Now, the building has a scaffolding and several projects underway at once, so no one was any the wiser. One of the hard hats working there yesterday said it wouldn't be that difficult to pose as a laborer. It's tough with so many people walking in and out. Attention, thieves. We have new people every day. Leslie Stahl is 66. And since the break-in, she hasn't spoken about it. She's very upset. She hasn't talked to anybody at all. Well, all right, then. Uh, let's see. Uh, Leslie Stahl isn't married to... Well, she is married to somebody famous, but nobody that I ever knew. So I don't know who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of... Who is it that's married to Alan Greenspan? That's, uh... What's her name? What's her name? <laughs> we, we follow our industry so very closely. <laughs> no, it's that uh, chick that used to be an Imus. I know what her name is. Okay, well, whatever. Anyway, uh, so Leslie Stahl is married to Aaron Latham. He is a journalist. You know what his big claim to fame is? What's that? He wrote the article that inspired the movie Urban Cowboy. Hmm. There you go. Uh, oh, and uh, he also, uh, I think he uh, wrote the screenplay for Perfect, starring John Travolta. So, well done, you. All right, $100,000 in jewelry. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's Tim Riley. So are you still fascinated as to who Ellen Greenspan is married to? No. Oh, what's her name? I can't think. Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell. They've been married right. since 1997. All right. So there you go. Which is, I mean, well done for him because he used to play the saxophone with the Woody Herman Orchestra. I cannot possibly fathom Alan Greenspan playing any kind of musical instrument. He earns $16 million a year. Well, of course he does. I mean, it's seriously, like if you had the money, wouldn't you just hire that guy to come run your personal finances? Really? I mean, that's the, if I was Bill Gates, that's the first thing I would do is just hire Alan Greenspan to come do my taxes. Hey, you know, here's an interesting thought. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, 
So he plays the saxophone, or he did? Did. Alan Greenspan? Yeah. I was thinking about this. Uh, I was talking to Joni about this. It's interesting when you think about it. Maybe it's not interesting. You know? Never mind. I was about to say a thing that's interesting to me. It's not interesting to anybody else. You just took up our time. You might as well tell us now. <laughs> uh -huh. I was just going to say, how is it that the saxophone came to be the lamest, whitest instrument on earth? You know what I mean? It because was the way it sounds. No, but, but it was at one point a soulful instrument. It was a jazz instrument used in a lot of soul and R&B and whatever. I'm not saying that it, you have to like the, the way it sounds. It is pleasing. I'm just saying it was a very, I mean, like, you know, like you listen to, a, uh, you know, like a lot of the, uh, you know, like the early James Brown stuff, the classic James Brown stuff, a lot of soul and R&B, like old R&B, used the saxophone. But then at some point, like in the 80s, like until now, from the 80s to present, the saxophone, Clarence Clemens being the sole exception to this, I think, the saxophone has become... Like, if you hear a saxophone in a song now, don't you just know that it's white and lame? Like, it just goes without saying. Now you can take on online lessons with the saxophone. That's impossible. How could you take online lessons for a music instrument? That's what it's That doesn't make any sense at all. That's just, that's just made up, Tim. Someone has swindled you with that information. It was invented in the early 1840s by Adolf Sax. Really? Mm-hmm. I never really thought that it, there was a reason for... I guess it had to be called a saxophone for some reason. Yeah. Adolf it, it, Sax... It, it, it's, S-A-X. Yeah. Not S-A-C-K-S. Yes. You I... should imply a, a, more than one sack. Is this really what we fill airtime with for four hours mm. every day? Pretty much. Anyway, do you see why I didn't want to talk about that? And then I did. I'm sorry. Here's Tim Riley. He constructed several saxophones in several sizes. <laughs> okay, but okay, now, now we have to talk about it. So do you know what I think of when I hear the saxophone? I think of L.A. Law. L.A. Oh. Law, which has, I mean, really, in a world of bland television themes. I watched a rerun of that the other night. It's so bad. It's awful. I mean, it's entertaining, I suppose, in a terrible kind of way. But, I mean, and, it, and just that, that theme song to L.A. Law, which I now must find, um, it, it, the worst thing about that L.A. Law theme song is the first, like, I don't know, second and a half, two seconds where there's that little saxophone trill. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sarah, yeah. did you ever watch L.A. Law? Is that before your time? No. No, it's still, it. it's still in reruns. I watched it the other day. I mean, I know some things are before your time, but you sort of watch them anyway. Uh, like, you know, like you watch, uh, I'm trying to think of something. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was sort of made before you were around. Oh, Cop, cops stop and use uh, pay phones on the streets of New York totally. to make phone calls. Then they go to a post office looking for letters. All right, let me see here if I can get the L.A. Law theme song. Um, and it really is, I think Mike Post did this theme song because he was like some sort of a rule that Mike Post had to compose every television theme song for every NBC series for like 40 years. Let's see here if I can get the saxophone. Hold on. Oh, yeah, that's what I, it's, it's cutting off the very beginning of it. Oh, wait, here we go. Let me try this one again. Here's, here's another one. Maybe I can get the full glory of the saxophone open on this one. But... The rest of this uh, opening credit sequence is bad enough because it's got this terrible keyboard line that that, but it's the opening saxophone that sells the whiteness of the show. Let's see here. Now, now, seeing of course that one's not going to do. It. I'm going to give it one more try and then we'll then we'll bag it. Now I feel like I have to make the point. Uh, maybe Wait. we should have instrumental. I mean, uh, so anyway, so there, let me just play this one more time. It's we don't need to play any of the rest of the theme, but 
I would argue at this point that there is no wider musical instrument than the saxophone. I mean, really, the, the piccolo has more soul than the saxophone at this point. The zither. I didn't really know what a zither is. I just like saying it. It was an excuse. Zither is a fun word. I don't even know what a zither is. I couldn't tell you. You know what I like better, though? It's kitar. The kitar has more soul. Mm-hmm. The kitar was used on Bobby Brown's album, My Prerogative. It has much more soul than the saxophone. The saxophone just screams, hey, I'm a lame Caucasian. Jesus. A zither is a musical stringed instrument used mostly in folk music, most commonly in German-speaking Europe. Okay. What time is it? Jesus, it looks like a guitar. Uh, it looks like a guitar cut in half. A zither? Yeah. Now I'm going to see it. See. Somebody cut that a looks guitar like a harp. in half. How is that different from a, a zither? That looks like a harp is what that looks like. Well, because it's a zither. All right. Zither. <laughs> I hadn't even really, you know, it's been a long time since we've really followed that up. Uh, it's it's with the uh, now I can't because I've got the L.A. Law theme busy playing on my uh, computer. Zither, I barely knew her. All right. Zither is uh, derived from the Greek word kathera. 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 It sounds like the magical uh-huh. land of kathera. Seriously, kathera, who was a many-headed hydra creature with a tail that shot fire and spikes. Guitar also derives from kathera. Okay. So they both share that word. Isn't Cathera that thing that lives on the ocean floor? That comes, that comes out and has a tongue that just kills people? I don't think so. That thing in the Mountains of Madness? No, that's oh. Cthulhu. All right. There's nothing derived from Cthulhu. No. Nothing at all. Wow. It's 12.30. Already. Let's do one actual news story here, and then we'll take a break. So Microsoft is pouncing on Yahoo for an unsolicited takeover offer of $44.6 billion. I read that this morning. That is the, I don't know how true that is or if that's just one of those test balloons that Microsoft is floating to see how Yahoo responds to it. That's huge news if that's true. Yeah. Uh, let's see. With its profits steadily sliding, Yahoo stock slipped to a four-year low. Well, like everybody else's stock this year. I don't see what they're talking about. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's what's happening. So they haven't accepted it yet. I mean, it, but it, uh, you know, the thing about I love Microsoft. I really do, and I know it's not fashionable to say that. Uh, they make terrible products in many ways, but I do admire them as a company, as a corporation, and just as as just as just a marketing monolith, uh, and just as a business. I really do admire Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer and, and Microsoft. But they've been getting their clocks cleaned and searched by Google, of course. But you know, the thing about Bill Gates and Microsoft is that, uh, not unlike the Terminator, they just will not stop. Like, Microsoft will not stop until they kill you. And I'm, I'm not trying to be necessarily melodramatic about it. It's true. If you look at all of the fields that Microsoft has entered, even fields where they entered late, they eventually just crushed everybody. I mean, if you think about the fact that, like, in 1996 or 97, Jesus, it was like 85% of the country used the Netscape Navigator browser. I mean, everybody used Netscape. And Bill Gates just said, like, like we will destroy Netscape and crush them and put them out of business, and I don't care how much money and time it takes, I will destroy them. And you know what? Uh, last Friday, last Friday, Netscape went out of business. Uh, and nobody had been using their browser for, like, four or five years before that. But last Friday, Netscape actually completely folded his company because Bill Gates just said, I'll, I will do whatever it takes, and I will fight as long and hard as I can to, to destroy their company. And see, they've been, I mean, they're getting reamed by Google. 
Uh, but buying Yahoo would be a huge step forward to fighting back against that. So it's it's pretty interesting to uh, to watch. And Microsoft really, you can, and every three or four years, somebody on a blog somewhere decides to write how the end of Microsoft is at hand, or Microsoft's empire is going to be crumbling, or this, Microsoft is their their day has passed, and it never turns out to be true. I mean, they always even that stupid Zune thing that they put out, which is the first generation of which, which by all accounts like like the worst thing in history. You know that that they're just gonna they just won't quit. You know that they'll just keep at that thing uh, until it gets market share. That's just the way they go. They just have no uh, they have no off button at that company. Uh, here's what we've got: somebody about books, somebody about a conspiracy, somebody about Andrea Mitchell, someone claiming to be my neighbor or neighbor, as Richie has typed it. What do we think? Anyone? No conspiracies. Sarah's not even listening. Sarah, uh, the neighbor sounds good. We've got it. Might be the grease lady. Books. Andrea Mitchell, conspiracy theory, or Rick's neighbor? Ooh, I want to go. What did you think, Tim? I like neighbor. I like neighbor, too. Neighbor. I barely knew her. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, I'm not your neighbor. Well, it says on the screen that your name is Michelle. <laughs> no. As a matter of fact, I'm not. But I was calling about the zither. Zither? Okay, go ahead. Well, uh, at a, uh, I used to live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was a bar on the south side that had zither music every Sunday. Um, a German bar, and it's just a—it's a small thing about about twice the size of a newspaper sitting on the on the table. It does it, it, it looks kind of like a harp, but with a backboard. Right, and, and you set it down on the table flat, and you play it that way. You play it almost uh, picture a guy playing a pedal steel guitar, only okay. he's German and he's playing lame music. <laughs> That's what Fantastic. it is. Fantastic, wonderful. Thank you, sir. Hey, best show ever. Thank you. Bye now. All right. What do you what do you got there? I have the zither, but then they're talking and laughing over the zither. Because you have fun with the zither. Well, how can you I not have fun? I guess it's a fun festive instrument. Well, okay, right now, I defy you, with the exception of the piccolo, to tell me an instrument that sounds like more fun than the zither. There's nothing. The zither is the most fun-sounding instrument. Uh, um, no, no, no. The ukulele. <laughs> no, that's true. The castanets. Castanets are kind of fun-sounding. zither. And you have so much fun with the ukulele. Now, wait a minute. This instrument sounds strangely similar to a, an instrument that's actually on a Tom Petty song. Sounds like a genie is in the bottle. I think I might actually have a song that has a zither on it. Okay, now we have to wait like ten seconds because i got to find it here. Right there. That does, and you know what else that sounds like? That sounds like the beginning of that Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Simon and Garfunkel song, El Condor Pasa. Oh, yeah, it does. does that uh, I'd rather be a sparrow than a snail. That song. Yes, I would. That sound, I'd rather be a hammer than a snail. It's in every massage parlor. Oh, man. Oh. A couple weeks ago, I was getting a massage, and that's a whole cottage industry, too, that new age music for massage parlors. Uh-huh. I actually, okay, see, I'm so, I love this show. Here, let me, let me say this about that. Are we just going to have this on in the background? It's, isn't it soothing? It really yeah. is. I really think that we need it. You know, Tim, I'm sorry. Indulge yourself. You come in here to do news, and instead we're talking about the zither and me getting a massage. So, really, I'm sorry about that. I don't want to hear about you getting a massage. No, yeah, I'm not going to talk about the actual part. massaging part, <laughs> except to say this. that You know, you're there, and it's, it's Sarah pointed out, same thing, earth tones, low lights, yeah. and then new age music. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking to myself, well, first, this music is crap. And secondly, anybody could write this, 
And thirdly, whoever this guy is that made this New Age CD that I hear in every, 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 like, massage school or, you know, like a spa, th the music is everywhere. That guy must be making money hand over fist. Like, I can't, you know, I can't imagine how little time it takes to crank out some stupid New Age music. Because it's like one key on the keyboard, what's like the wind sound, held down, and it's like this. It's like a... And then over that, there's like a plucking, like a ding, dong, ding. And then like chimes. And that's it. That's it. That's you all. don't find that to be soothing? I do, but I'm saying how much money there must be in that. Oh, yeah. Because you're the music. I mean, you could, look, let's be honest. This music right here. I mean, you don't know that this is a song. This is just random notes. You could record a whole album of this in like 35 minutes, sell it to every spa on the planet. Not to any zither aficionado. A zither aficionado might know the difference. I'm just saying. God, what a consultant would make of this. It's almost tempting to get a consultant for like a day. You know what I mean? Like with a coupon or something? <laughs> just, to, just to see what they would say? No, that would... No, I don't even want to test that water. Uh, all right. Uh, can you uh, pop that down for a second? I, I have to play just the very beginning of the song because I do believe that there is... I hope this is more of zither music. No, but tell me if this sounds like a zither to you. That's a phrase no one's ever said before. Hey, does, uh, does this sound like a... Uh, does this sound like a zither to you? All right, let me... Uh... Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's totally a zither. It is zithery. Or maybe the beginning sounds maybe like a, a guitar. Hold on, let me let me just play just the beginning. And then I'll play my zither. I can't get it to him. I'm jealous. I don't have a zither of my own. Hold on, let me see if I can just get the uh, get the beginning of this to play again. Stop. Start. Yeah, the internet is. I don't mean the internet so much as I mean the CBS network has got a long way it to go in slow. terms of it. Well, you know, anytime you want something good, that's what it does. You know what? And it's like, whenever... It's a, no, I can't get it to play again. But you heard the beginning. That's totally it. How weird. I'm a little smarter than I was just a few minutes ago. There is a Tom Petty song that uses a zither. Have you seen Elizabethtown? Mm -mm. Okay, this is the title, not the title track, but this is the the main theme to Elizabethtown. It's it's from like 30 years ago, but this is what he uses in Elizabethtown. It's this. It's a beautiful song. It's called uh, "It'll All Work Out." Um, anyway, so which I suspect is a slice of personal philosophy. I suspect this is the. I suspect that this is the song that Cameron Crowe uh, thinks of for his real life uh, Penny Lane. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Don't forget, uh, about uh, two hours and 20 minutes left to get your spam entries in uh, at 970.am. 970.am. Uh, by the way, while you're there, uh, you can also go to 970.am if you want to make sure that Bridget has received your entry. Uh, if you want to make sure that your uh, picture made it through successfully, uh, go to 970.am. Go to the spam section, and there's a little link there. You can email Bridget from upstairs directly and make sure she got, the, got your picture. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tim Riley. Does anybody still like Janet Jackson anymore? Who? Janet Jackson. No, I do. I, no, you know, I don't. Wait. No, I don't. Uh, I, I really stopped liking Janet Jackson after uh, after Rhythm Nation. 
I'm going to play a snippet of one of her songs she just posted from her album. It's called Rock With You. Is this, uh, is this clean? Because I know she's been working blue lately. Let's see here. Because, you know, okay. she became all about the sex. Mm-hmm. Didn't she put out a bunch of songs and records that had weird, awkwardly sexual titles? She might. It's a whole lot of, like, tie me up and whatever. This is my pot up. It is. I wonder why it's not playing. Maybe it's maybe the computer's rebelling because it's crap. Well, anyway. Somebody's from the demo mode on the keyboard. Ew. Please stop this. That's awful. <laughs> I mean, that's like not even kind of bad. It just there's just no, nothing there. There's no music in that music, and I don't mean that in some. I mean, I, I just there's nothing. It just sounds very uh, wispy and sort of no substance. You know, I and really, I, I hate to say stuff like this because I, I do kind of. I did like Janet Jackson, and and I really and I hate to say this also because I don't want to come off as some like everything was better when I was growing up. It, it's just. No, you're right. She was better when you were growing up. Well, that's the thing, man. She really tapped into something um, early on, like in the Control album, and then, of course, what a lot of people consider her masterpiece, which is Rhythm Nation. Now, I know you can't just make the same record over and over again. I do understand that. But, you know, the problem is is that she had this great persona, which is very strong, aggressive, sort of very confident uh, I don't want to say sexuality, but she had a you know, very strong, you know, you could sense that whole sense of that sense of, uh, of authority that came from her. And then that sort of went away when she started doing videos where she was running on the beach with a bunch of shiny guys. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, you know, like like it was like everybody was sort of greased up. It was like everybody was sort of everybody was sort of greased up and running around on the sand and then frolicking. And it's like I, coming on the heels of like, uh, you know, Rhythm Nation and Miss You Much and uh, all of those songs. It's like it, 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 the frolicking just didn't really seem to be her strong suit. And then she did that awful Velvet Rope album, which was really terrible. So can you play just a little bit of that again? Or is it gone? It's gone. Uh, that's good. Well, no one. it doesn't matter. No one's going to care. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Found something a little bit more conservative for you anyway. Okay. My name is Ronald Reagan. Last year, the contributions of 16 million Americans to the Crusade for Freedom made possible the World Freedom Bell, symbol of hope and freedom to the communist-dominated peoples of Eastern Europe, and built this powerful 135,000-watt Radio Free Europe transmitter in Western Germany. This station daily pierces the Iron Curtain with the truth, answering the lies of the Kremlin and bringing a message of hope to millions trapped behind the Iron Curtain. Grateful letters from listeners smuggled past the secret police Express thanks to Radio Free Europe. <laughs> it's like a secret letter folded up in a hat. In the hat. By name. The Crusade for Freedom is your chance. Yes, the Soviets were destroyed with the cunning use of hats. Join now by sending your contributions to General Clay, Crusade for Freedom, Empire State Building, New York City. No zip code. Or join in your local community. Do you wonder what happens if you, uh, if you, uh, as opposed to joining in somebody else's community? Do you wonder what happens if you send stuff to addresses like that now? Yeah. Like if you sent it to General Freedom or whatever, the, whatever the hell it's called. I want to donate to the Liberty Bell. You know, and I love the idea that we just had a big bell or something that was digging. That's all they needed. Not food or, you know. My question was, where was the bell kept? Was it kept at the communist border and they rang it? right by the side. (laughs) They're about to ring the Liberty Bell. I wonder if later it was upgraded to one of those, like, clocks that had a bird that shot out of the top of it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ronald Reagan. Man. You know, was it McCain, I think, that the other day was... Well, they were all trying to align themselves with Reagan. He is... Would you agree that McCain is the... He's the Republican's Kennedy? I suppose. I mean, is there a Democratic equivalent to Kennedy, or is there a GOP equivalent to... You know what I mean? Is there, yeah. is, is there a Reagan equivalent to Kennedy, or is there uh, a Democratic equivalent to Reagan? No, but I, I guess McCain is better than nothing. Well, that sort of seems to be... Did you see that... Um, oh, I hate to even talk about Ann Coulter. It's like my mouth doesn't even... Like, it's not even that I find her... I know that everybody... Oh, oh she's evil. It's, it, no, it's... You know, it... It's just that I find her kind of dull. I mean, that's the thing, and I know I, I everybody's Ann Coulter and evil. Well, well, she'll do anything so you won't see her at her Adam's apple. I mean, <laughs> she won't look at her big swamp thing hands. <laughs> look at my plant hands. Um, it's, it, I mean, it, it, Ann Coulter is like no more evil than the Hamburglar is. I mean, she's just a character. I mean, I, and I'm not trying to. I guess maybe I am trying to be serious. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, and she plays the character of Ann Coulter. Everybody knows that's what she does. It's. You know, she's she is no different than uh, than Eminem or Rush Limbaugh or whoever else. She she gets up there and she plays this character that makes her money. Um, but she really is kind of tiresome in some ways, and I think she realizes that it's harder and harder for people. Like people have learned that if you, well, the only thing that can kill Ann Coulter is looking away for 15 minutes. And so she put out that thing this morning of like that she hates McCain so much that she would campaign for Hillary before she campaigned for McCain. Even talking about it makes me tired. Um, but. It's interesting to see if the GOP is going to line up behind McCain because you know they just don't like him. They the, the Republicans just uh, a lot of the old school hardcore has Republicans that don't Nancy like him. Nancy Reagan likes her. Yeah, but she won't publicly endorse. That's no. the other thing about Nancy Reagan likes him, but won't publicly endorse him, which says something. Uh, but McCain was doing that. He did that great, great tired speech thing the other day where he was talking. About, he goes. Well, let me tell you the story of another Republican who was once a maverick outsider, you know, and it's blah, 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 Ronald Reagan, blah, blah, blah. So Ronald Reagan, he always had the same hairdo, man. He His hair was, he had that Bob's big boy hair even then. It yeah. never changed. Well, One hairstyle. It's like, you know, in the 50s, did you just come out of the womb and they stamped a hairstyle on your head and that was the hair you died with? Yes, that, same thing with my dad. He had the... The Elvis Pompadour. So the day he died. It, it automatically, there even after a towel drying. <laughs> His, the there hair was nothing just, there. There was, there was nothing the to hair, keep it there. It just went back The there. hair just snapped back into uh-huh. place. Exactly. The, it was sort of like... And, the, and my sister was a hairdresser, at the, and she tried everything. <laughs> it, it just wouldn't do. Right back into Right back into the DA. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And they don't make hair like that anymore, Tim Riley. No, sir, they do not. Here's... They uh. Don't. Let's uh, talk about the first lady last night during uh, last night's uh, copy chat, in which she drew uh, mild laughter from the audience. And you know, it did take a Clinton to clean after the first Bush, and I think it might take another one to clean up after the second. Great line. That really—that was her biggest response of the night last night. Uh, Barack discusses the differences between he and Hillary when it comes to their health care plan. My belief is is that if we make it affordable, if we provide subsidies to those who can't afford it, they will buy it. Senator Clinton has a different approach. She believes that we have to force people who don't have health insurance to buy it. Well, but you know, uh, that's what they did. They forced everyone in Massachusetts to buy insurance. But here's the thing. She says the same thing about his plan. Yeah, I just don't you just want. I mean, look, they're both gonna end up with the same plan. Don't you just want, want to put him in a room like Jack Bauer, you know, shine a light on him and go, "What is your health care plan?" You know, I mean, it's, it's just tell me, just tell me. But you know, that's Mitt Romney's thing. Is it in Massachusetts? Wasn't it in Massachusetts? If you don't buy health care, stick in prison. Yes. Buy health care, we will jail you. Yeah. So that's 
It's spoken sp- spoken like a true that guy. Uh, anyway, all right, yeah. Obama reacts to the question of being on the same ticket with Hillary. We've got a lot more road to travel, and uh, so I think it's premature for either of us to start speculating about vice presidents, etc. I think it would be premature and presumptuous. Uh, you know, but he didn't say no, and I do agree with everybody who said that it is easier to see uh, Barack as the VP to her than her to the VP. She would. I mean, I hate to say she'd never to do it. That last night. I, I can see Barack being, being her vice president. I really can. Um, I find it. I, I can't see. I don't know, man. Maybe it's just that I buy into the hype about her being just so unbendable. But I can't. I can't see her being the VP. It just doesn't work in my head. The equation just doesn't work somehow. But I can't, you know, I said this to Lisa earlier, I, I don't know how much the party just sort of steps in at some point and just says, look, this must happen. But do you have the clip of the of the crowd responding to the question? See, that was the, it. About, okay. When, when, when Wolf said that, and he said, what would you say about a Barack uh, and Hillary ticket or a Hillary and Barack? And the, the crowd just went crazy. I mean, it was like... As I said, if the crowd could have just come and picked them up on their shoulders and carried them out into the street and thrown roses at them, they would have done that. I mean, somebody's got to notice that and just say, like, look, you know, you may not get along, but you got to pipe down on that. Because if if Hillary and Barack Obama ran as a ticket, I swear, like, no one would, no one on the other side of the aisle would even vote. I mean, the Republicans would just stay home because they know it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. The Republicans could run Jesus, and it wouldn't matter at that point. So I can't believe that that is going unnoticed. Uh, Hillary says she'll start withdrawing troops from Iraq within 60 days when she takes off. I believe that it will take me um, one to two brigades a month, depending on how many troops we have there, and that nearly all of them should be out within a year. It is imperative, though, that we actually plan and execute this right. Uh, Barack says there is more to getting the troops out of Iraq than just bringing them home. As somebody who never supported this war, thought it was a bad idea. I don't want to just end the war, but I want to end the mindset that got us in the war in the first place. Uh, Hillary said that she and Barack have a shared opponent. And they're not talking about each other. Uh, the differences between uh, Barack and I pale in comparison to the differences that we have with Republicans. And I want to say that first and foremost, because it's really a stark difference. It was pretty, somebody did clearly, there was either an unspoken or spoken discussion last night about mm-hmm. playing nice and just sticking, because they're all operating under the assumption, the, uh, boy, let me just say this too about John McCain. It, let me back up one second. I was watching a whole thing about uh, campaign tactics and dirty tricks and whatever. They were talking about John Kerry and the swift voting and the whatever. We can all agree that John Kerry got a, a raw deal with that, but. And he never fought back till it was too late. I know. He's, I'm going to let this be out there for four weeks before I address it. But you know, just thinking about John Kerry, don't you just kind of go, Ugh. Like, does this just make you feel tired? Like when you look, picture John Kerry speaking or go look at a picture of John Kerry, don't you just kind of go, Ugh. like it just sort of makes you fatigued and sort of puts a bad taste in your mouth? Because it just seems like it was such politics as usual. Like running John Kerry just seemed like he seemed like another one of those guys. He se- well, he, he's, he's kind of a dial-up in a broadband age. Exactly. Look at that. Write that down. You should save that phrase. Um, I'll repeat it three times this afternoon. I'll like it. The, make it a power. Yeah. Um, the, the, the John Kerry in 2004 seemed like Bob Dole in 96, where he was getting to run just because it was sort of his turn. Then he falls off the stage. <laughs> you remember that? Of course you do. Bob Dole falling <laughs> off the stage into the crowd. And, and then he, he, he tours a factory called Old Man Beer <laughs> in New Hampshire. I forgot that he fell off a stage. Yeah, he fell off the stage. <laughs> And now for my next impression, Gerald Ford. <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, right into the crowd. <laughs> Who did? I don't even know if they caught him. Right into the dull mosh pit. Oh man, I forgot all about that. Yeah, wonderful. That's what he'll be best be remembered for in history. Falling, falling, falling off up. the stage and then telling everybody he had erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth and I can now have sex like wild rabbits. Anyway, um, yeah, but it, but you got this feeling in '96 that like it was just Dole's show. Like he was standing in line long enough that they went, "All right, next up for president." Uh, you, Dole, next in line. Okay, let's go. And that was what it was with Kerry. Like, who was really excited about John Kerry? No one. No one. No one. No one. No one. No one. Um, but watching McCain last night, McCain's got a little spitfire to him, a little bit. But it, it, McCain just seems like such a tired, and I don't mean, I'm not saying he physically seems tired, although he does sometimes. But, I mean, you look at Barack and Hillary and, it, you know, you do feel sort of energized and vibrant or whatever. I mean, Like the old Kennedy thing. Exactly. Party party aside, partisanship aside, you look at Barack and Hillary, you kind of go, yeah, the future, upward, onward, better, faster. You look at John McCain, you kind of go, oh, boy, 1980. You know, it just he just brings back horrible memories of a time past. He really does. So. I, I mean, I mean it's, it's funny that both Hillary and Barack are like the youth of the party, but if they're in the real business world... Maybe like really old. Oh yeah. Well, how old is Hillary Clinton? Hillary is is close to say, maybe sixty. Really? She's up there. Good makeup job on her. Fantastic hair. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how old Barack Obama is. Forty something. He seems very youthful though. He's uh yeah that guy's got he's got the uh, the the glint of youth in his eye. Mm-hmm. But um yeah I know mean, I yeah that's true in, in the you know yes in the demographic world Hillary is is aged but of course in the world of uh, in the, in the world of and plus she's just a ute. Well, and here's the thing, and by dint of being a female candidate, she's allowed to dress uh, differently, and which she's allowed to dress in a younger fashion. Like, in other words, like if you're a male candidate, you got to wear a suit and you got to wear a tie and a white shirt, and that's it. Bam, you're done. Like, you, you are not allowed to deviate. You can't come up with, like, a sorry or something. What are you going to do? I'm going to wear a sarong to the debate. Like, that's just not, you can't do that. Uh, but Hillary can sort of dress however she wants within reason, so she's able, able to look even more. So you know, Barack little, was born in 1961. So he's 47. 47. Looks younger than that, but okay. So a little older than Kennedy by a couple of years. Yeah. How old, JFK? You mean when he was elected? Yeah. How old was Kennedy when he was elected? 44, 45, around there. See the youngest president? No, Clinton is probably the Clinton. youngest president mm-hmm. so far. Uh, just say how old Barack Obama is. Rob, Bobby Kennedy would have been younger, though, right? Yeah, Barack Obama was born in 61. Okay, I mean, sorry, Hillary. Does it say how old uh, Hillary is? I think Hillary is around 60, if not more. Hmm. In the meantime, let's get a call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick, this is Benjamin. How are you guys doing? Hello. Uh, well, hello. Hi, um, what's up? Hey, I'm yes. calling because uh, I wanted to know, did you get that thing I sent you? Could you vague it up for me a little? Hillary is 60. Oh, did you send Benjamin, was that you who sent the Lost in the Battlestar Glasgow books? I did. You guys never mentioned it. I um, oh, sure I did. No, no, no. Thank you, you know, so much. That is the coolest thing I've here's, ever read. Here's the thing. Uh, yeah, don't don't think that I'm an ass about it. What I do during the week is, uh, like, you know, if I'll get the, a letter or an email or something like that, it all goes in this uh, big inbox on my desk. And then what I do is, like, on the weekend, I go through and I get all that stuff answered. So I don't mean to be to uh, to be ungrateful about that. It, the, the the letter that you enclose with it is sitting on my desk, and uh, you're going to get a even after having had this conversation, you will still get an email from me this weekend. Thank you for it. I just kind of do I do all that stuff at once because I'm just kind of ADD, and otherwise I'll do three of them and forget to do all the rest. Okay, yeah, I was just uh, you know it's been a week. I sent it out on Monday. I yeah. wanted to make sure, and I was I was thinking yesterday would have been the perfect time because 
lost, lost. Premiere, Battlefront yeah. Black. Yeah, because I referenced, yeah, I referenced it yesterday. We did talk about it when we got it that first time. And that is, thank you so much. That is the coolest it's book. It's kind of a, a series of books where they do philosophical lessons derived from, like, sci-fi shows or something. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The very first one I ever read was uh, Superheroes in Philosophy. And, um, you know, look, a good example for the audience, and hopefully to encourage them to do an Amazon search for pop culture and philosophy series, um, is, you know, why did Superman... Uh, decide to become a protector of Earth rather than, like, take over? What would your thoughts be on that? Um, well, here's a... Th okay. Uh, am I really going to answer this? Yeah. Tim, do you mind? No, please do. Okay. Here's the thing. My th my my thoughts about, about Superman, uh, and I really am... Superman, uh, while... As time has gone on, and I said this when the last Superman film, which was terrible, came out, uh, Superman is not really interesting to me as a character anymore. In other words, as a, as a superhero, because he's invulnerable, and he's just there's only so much you can do with a character that can't be killed, blah, blah, blah. The last Superman movie was... Yeah. was Drek. Yeah. Uh, mm. That being said, philosophically speaking, Superman is a fascinating character. He really is. And my thoughts about Superman as a, in a philosophical sense, and this really is what makes this show great, what's happening right now, um, it's difficult for me to talk about it with, without sort of filtering in a lot of this great essay that David Mamet did. David Mamet wrote the best piece of writing about Superman that I think has ever been done, and I, I would do an injustice to it to really try to summarize it here. But he notes that uh, that Superman has this whole thing about how uh, he can only be loved as Superman by the various uh, women in his life, but the women in his life can't love him as Clark Kent. In other words, uh, he can be loved, but only from afar, uh, you know, because, you know, Superman obviously can't get married. Superman can't really have serious relationships, at least in most of the most of the sort of canon. He can't have serious relationships. He can only be loved distantly. And the reason, and that it's all because of repressed childhood trauma, uh, because if they knew that Superman was also Clark Kent, in other words, if he was able to find love as Clark Kent, someone would inevitably know he was Superman. They would learn about his uh, about his secret identity, and then he would be injured. And the only thing that can be injured, the only thing that can injure Superman, is kryptonite. And kryptonite is a piece of literally a piece of his shattered homeworld. And so, his whole thing about being Superman and remaining uh, emotionally distant is for fear that someone will harm him by introducing remnants of his childhood back into his life. So ah. it's, it's a fascinating, and I'm doing an injustice to it here, but it really seek out a book by David Mamet called Some Freaks, and it has a wonderful essay on Superman that is really pretty jaw-dropping. You, you really ought to read it. Okay, well, this, this uh, <clears throat> superheroes and philosophy book that I read has a slightly different take on it. You know, they're wondering why would this all-powerful alien from another planet not just come in and dominate and take over because he could right and um the uh to, to kind of put it in a nutshell it's because he is alien in every way and he has no home but he's very human in his need to belong yes to, to be loved but but just in that kind of human way of of belonging somewhere so uh, he identifies with the human race and well, comes to be its protector. Yeah, because so he has it's a home because it's got destroyed. Because as Marlon Brando says, um, what is, to paraphrase says, they are good people. They just what is it? They have no one to lead them or whatever it is he says. Uh, there you go. As this is all summarized very beautifully, by the way, in a song by uh, the Crash Test Dummies called Superman Song, uh, which nice. which posits the idea that you know Superman could have. Uh, could have robbed every bank in the United States, but he would not, as the song says. So, uh, yeah, I will read that book. Thank you so much, my friend. There you go. That's Benjamin. There you go.
Uh, yeah, that David Mamet essay on Superman is in a book called Some Freaks, and it really is truly, I remember, that's one of the things that, uh, when I was uh, working with Mike Chase, and Mike Chase and I really bonded over this essay on Superman. Uh, and the song, uh, Superman song by the Crash Test Dummies addresses some of these same issues. You are listening to the incredibly nerdy KCMD Portland. This is Tim Riley. Then I heard that Hillary was 16? Is 60, exactly. Uh, she, at the end of October last year, she turned 16. All right, good for her. So she's that old, although she looks good with that makeup. She does. She's uh, no, they, whoever it is that's responsible for troweling that stuff on keeps her looking good. Mm-hmm. So entertainment tonight, and the insider have scrapped plans to air that alleged video of Heath Ledger talking about his drug use. The alleged video. Now apparently, for Inside Edition, it ran on the East Coast, but somebody put their foot down. Yeah, it's the West not Coast an alleged edition. video. I mean, it exists. I, when, when we had that Doctor Drew interview, he said he'd seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Entertainment Tonight has it. And you said it ran on the East Coast? Yeah, apparently. Well, it's got to be on the net then. Uh, it was on the Internet yesterday. All right. So Ledger is here to talk about getting into trouble at a drug-infused party at the infamous Chateau Miramont in Hollywood. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. That's damning if I've ever heard it. One more time. Heath Ledger talking about <laughs> drug use. <laughs> uh-huh. Banned by Hollywood. <laughs> there, there you go. Meanwhile, actress Michelle Williams said she is brokenhearted at the loss of Heath Ledger. The two lived in New York and had a daughter who was now two. In her first statement since her death, she said, She's done. Please respect our need to grieve privately. My heart is broken. That never works. You know, please respect our privacy. I don't even know why they bother to say that anymore. That's like the we wish him well in future endeavors. It's never true and it never works. Uh, Grammy winner Alicia Keys and American Idol winner Jordan Sparks will steal a few moments at the big game this Sunday. With pre-game performances, Sparks is scheduled to perform the national anthem before the big game, while Keys is set to headline the pre-game show. I don't even know if Jordan Sparks is about... Jordan Sparks sounds like a female porn star. Is Jordan... She is. I mean, is well, she? she is a female, but not necessarily a porn star yet. But Jordan Sparks, is it with an X? No. Okay. Okay, yes. Uh, all right. So Jordan Sparks and who are singing what at the uh, where? Well, Keys uh, jokingly uh, shared with the reporters their strategy for keeping audiences engaged during the pregame and, and performance. Or what I'm going to do with the pre-show, I'm just going to basically take you by your neck and demand that you watch me. <laughs> so that's what I do. Remind me to put that on my to-don't list. Uh, Jordan Sparks said she always wanted to sing at a Super Bowl. I am a huge, humongous football fan to be able to... Sing at the Super Bowl, and With, I get to be. You're not a huge football fan. To a Super Bowl before, so I'm just off. like, it's a whole bunch of firsts for me. But I love football, and I know that I've, like, just watched from watching last year and just seeing how everything worked out. I was like, that would be awesome. She said, "Chick that won American Idol." Now I know how. Yeah. To Let's do a show of hands. Who believes Jordan Sparks is, in fact, quote, a huge football fan? Well, no. It's like when I saw Jessica Alba in a Han shot first T-shirt. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. True TV, which used to be Court TV, has just announced today will be the last episode of the Star Jones show. Uh, they said the abrupt cancellation of the show, which uh, debuted in 2006. Don't you wish that you had her phone number just so you could call up and give her like, ha ha, and just hang up? She will continue to be contributing as a legal expert. To what? <laughs> Imagine, was she a lawyer? Is yes. that her deal? Apparently so. Imagine having Star Jones as your lawyer. I mean, really, it's a pity that Arrested Development didn't live <laughs> live long enough in the air to do that. Imagine, and for the defense, Star Jones. I mean, you want to talk about the, the way to immediately put a jury on the on the wrong side of whatever you're trying to get done. Here's Timothy Riley. Well, anyway, oh, this is too bad. The uh, Coast Guard right now is searching for a lost hot air balloonist whose goal was to fly from Japan to Oregon. Uh, Machio Kwanda 
vanished over the North Pacific, about 435 miles south of Edak Islands in the Aleutians chain. Two C-130 aircraft are unable to detect the missing balloon. They'll uh, resume that. He is a 58-year-old balloonist. The search was conducted in high seas and high winds. Please tell me uh, that he's uh, like one of these independently wealthy guys. He was flying from Japan to Portland, trying to break distance records and duration records. He was reported missing after failing to check in by satellite telephone. This is a black and red balloon, or was, about uh, 15 stories tall when it is inflated and 150 feet wide. I just want to know if I can make fun Gee. of him or not. Because it's like, well, what well, well, he's missing. Well, well, he's got the gumption to fly in a balloon from Japan to Portland. I suppose. But remember, like, what's his name? Steve Fawcett? Well, that guy's dead, right? They never found him. Did they ever find Steve Fawcett? People just lost interest. <laughs> well, I certainly, I mean, I did. Uh, but, I mean, Steve Fawcett was that guy. He was a billionaire, and he kept flying around the world in a balloon. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, new, the people kept coming. like it was people like that. No, I hate people like that. People, as my wife no put it. No one should be so carefree. My, my wife put it, like, why are we subjected to watching, essentially, like, stamp collecting of the rich and famous? I'm a rich guy in a balloon. Pay attention to me. No. No one's paying any attention to you now, lightning strike man. So, uh, anyway, well, this guy's probably dead, too. Here's uh, Tim Riley. A uh, civilian state police employee is accused of sneaking into a church to look at pornography on a nun's computer. <laughs> uh, Thomas G. Fiedler has been charged with burglary and theft. Mm -hmm. He snuck into Grace St. Paul Episcopal Church about three times a week to look at pornography. Uh, Wednesday morning, a church custodian found uh, him who uh, worships at the church at the nun's computer. They tried to chase him out right into a police officer who happened to be nearby. That's handy. Uh, let's see. And, uh, reporters tried to reach him, but his son said he's not home. Fiedler. I barely knew her. All right. Um, all of these calls for some reason. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Oh, hey, Rick. Hey. Uh, How can I help you, sir? Yeah, I was uh, listening to the podcast from yesterday, and, uh, you made some mention of this, um, person on your, uh, people of interest. Yeah. Whatever it was. And, yeah, this, this fellow's kind of, what's his name? Stephen Coach. How do you, I don't even know how to say it. Realize I don't know what you're talking about right now. Stephen Kojakaru. You were making... He, he's a man who looks so much like a woman. Stephen Kojakaru. Uh, from from Canada. He's a film critic or a fashion critic or whatever from, or whatever from Canada. Yeah. Looks, yeah, it, looks it, like uh, looks like Sam Kinison meets Taylor Dane. It's very strange. It's very strange. But I was looking... I pulled up Google image results, and there's like three photographs of him. And the last two are him, and the, the first one is like a woman or something like that, you know. And so I was, I've never seen him before. Now, so are you like, sure that the first one isn't also him? Because that, that was the thing, is he does look a lot like a woman. He looks very that's, feminine. That's the thing, is that it's, it's like a, it's a shoulderless uh, kind of a halter dress, and, and well, the woman is obviously very bosomy, and it, or it's fairly, well, and it turns out she was standing next to him. Oh, I see. And Google, you know, flipped the wrong image. So the, there's another image, if you go there. That's were, you, were, you weirded, were you weirded out for just a minute, though, that you were looking at Stephen Kojigaro and becoming kind of aroused? Like, well, were you sort of freaked out? Like, oh, that he's Stephen Kojigaro's kind of hot with big cans. You know, in, in, in our day and age, Rick, you know, as a male, you have to be so on your guard to be careful when you're looking at a woman because there's a lot of trannies out. You know what I'm saying? They're everywhere, sir. You don't Coming dare for your let children. yourself get pulled into that. You know, so it's like there's a lot of trannies out there. It's true. So you spend your time, like when you see a photograph or something, and you, you know, and it's not made apparent what it is. It's like man or woman. You know what I mean? Like you do the test, and and there is like probably a two percent of the population who you just can't put them there. You know what I mean? They're, 
It really could go either way. Well, and you the trick is never told to the wedding night. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, there is actually, uh, this is a long time ago, but probably last year maybe, mm -hmm. a guy sent me something and he's like, you know, it was that thing that happens to me sometimes. It was like, hey, check out this hot chick. And it was like a link in an email. Oh, and it's got a slow window going. It's a slow window <laughs> and it, the, the picture loads from the bottom up. And you're like, check out those gams. Check out that midsection. Check out the bosoms. And then it's a guy. You know, it's a guy's face. And it totally Fs with you because it's like it loads from the bottom up, and it's the body of a really attractive woman and then a man's head on top. It's and you're kind of going, yeah, yeah. Whoa, yeah. yeah, it's it's so unnerving. David, David Duchovny. that away. David. David Duchovny did a really, really good interview with Playboy a few years ago. And he was talking about... Apparently, David Duchovny is really known to be a pornography enthusiast. Like, he thinks about it a lot, apparently writes about it sometimes, can okay. talk endlessly about it. So David Duchovny is talking about filming The X-Files in Vancouver. And in Vancouver Hotel, you know, in Canada, they have the real porn of the hotels, not like fake sort of softcore oh. or whatever. Right. So he's he told this – I have to clean this up for the radio. But um, he told the, the story about – he said one of the occupational, as he put it, one of the occupational hazards hazards of watching a lot of porn is that if it's porn on the hotel television, in other words, you can't pause it or whatever. You just start it and then it goes and you can't stop it or rewind. So he said that he um, many times, how, how shall I put this, was um, playing along at home. He was playing the home game with, the, the, por home game, right. with the pornography. He would uh, reach some sort of moment of uh, fulfillment, it, it, but then the camera angle would suddenly switch to where it was just like a big guy's ass in the screen. <laughs> and he said that he, and the, but the best part is this, he said he wondered if over time, like if that happened enough, that right. it would be like a Pavlov's dog reaction mm -hmm. where it would eventually just sort of rewire his sexuality, which was kind of an interesting idea. So you sort of re, you, yeah, re, you know, eventually, you know, he, he might just suddenly be, uh, be aroused by all kinds of things that he didn't think he would have. So, all right, thank you for the call, sir. Perhaps even Stephen Cho Cho, whatever his name is. Yeah, have a good day. All right, bye now. All right, there you go. Trannies are everywhere. They're legion. They're going to ruin the uh, the institution of marriage. <laughs> yes, yes, they are, Tim. You know, the social contract requires that you get married and have children. All right. Uh, what are we doing? Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Who remembers who Shirley Jones is? Wait, Shirley Jones, hot as balls. Um, Shirley Jones, so unbelievably scorchingly hot at one time. Shirley Jones of the Partridge Family fame. Shirley Jones also hottest Shirley Jones ever. Music Man. Mm -hmm. In the Music Man, uh, Shirley Jones was unbelievable. Here's the thing. Shirley Jones gets confused a lot of times with and overshadowed by Florence Henderson. But Shirley Jones is an even hotter version of Florence Henderson. Oh, man, I love Shirley Jones. Well, Shirley Jones... Please, are you going to follow us up when she's dead? ...is playing a 90-year-old Irish woman... Oh. ...who is believed to have killed herself years ago by jumping off a cliff on Days of Our Lives. Attention, uh, Jessica, or whoever called this her. She's a 73-year-old now. She's 73? i got to see what she looks like. ...and admits that she was initially hesitant to sign up... ...and explained that she took the part because she thought it would be an interesting uh, challenge. Uh, she never before worked on a daytime serial... And she never before played a character with an accent, True. so she plays an Irish woman. Oh, really? I wonder if it's going to be a terrible, like, a good top of the morning to So she's uh, training to capture the Irish brogue. She notes it's a demanding job, done at a hectic pace, but she, quote, ended up loving it and had a great time every day. Two things. A, uh, on, on Wikipedia for Shirley Jones from the side, she looks just like Hillary Clinton. 
Secondly, below here is a picture of Shirley Jones meeting Nancy Reagan. That's a little unnerving. Let's see here. Is there a... Uh, my, my computer's suddenly gone all weird. Okay, Shirley Jones, the website. Okay, i got to go to her website right now. Oh, she has her own website. Sure. How old is she? 73. Telling me sight unseen, I would still have sex with her. Doesn't matter. Let's see here. With a 73-year-old woman? Absolutely. I don't care. Okay, now I realize that the photo I'm looking at is, is probably uh, airbrushed a little, and it's black and white. Oh, man, but there's this picture of her. Uh, it's like, okay, they do this slideshow of her through the years. She did look a lot like Hillary Clinton at one point. Yes. Okay, so there's this slideshow of Shirley Jackson through the... Uh, Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jones through the years. Boy, just... She was really, truly stunning. Now, there's a photograph of here where she is older, but I suspect it's still from a long time ago. I think it's like it, she looks kind of like a cast member of Dynasty. She sort of got that 80s sort of shellacked hair. All right, hold on. I have to look at the photo gallery. Everybody just ignore me while I'm being creepy. Here's right. Tim Riley. Can well, we have some zither music? Uh, so, well, you would, uh, Sarah at one point said, and I think it's actually... Thank you. You've said that you would still have relations with Bob Dylan, and he's 70-something. Isn't he? How old is Bob Dylan? Oh, Do you yeah. know? He's not in his 70s. I think he's in his 60s. But you would have relations with Bob Dylan? Oh, probably. And he's cracked. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not trying to disparage him, but he was never an attractive man, was he? Except in the sort of musician kind of way. Yeah. Was he? Tra he wasn't traditionally good-looking, was he? I, no, I thought in some, in some of the imagery I've seen of him, I, I found him very attractive. All right. I'm looking at these photographs of Shirley. Okay, now, I, would you... Okay. I'm not crazy. Would everybody come look at this picture of Shirley Jones, which I do believe is fairly recent, which means she's old. So I want you now to come look at this picture of Shirley, Shirley Jones. So oh, she's really pretty. She is really pretty. Let me see if I can now. Sarah, you don't really know who Shirley Jones is like back in the day, right? She's a yeah, graceful kind of Let me see if I can find a picture of her from when she was much younger. Oh, wow. Uh, that picture doesn't even really do her justice. That's Is that Burt Lancaster? Who is that, Tim? It does look like that. Does yeah. Uh, I'm, let me. Is it, okay, wait. Here we go. This is this is what I'm talking about. Check out this picture of Shirley. She was just oh, wow. so beautiful. I mean, really, truly gorgeous. Uh, so there you go. So Shirley Jones. And, and then she practically she practically destroyed her life by being married to Jack Cassidy. To Jack Cassidy, boy, who burned himself alive. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's right. And I forgot. Him. Okay. Well, and she was Sean Cassidy, or was is John, uh, David David and Sean Cassidy's stepmom. Right? Well, I think she's Sean's Sean mother. Cassidy's mom, David Cassidy's stepmom. Oh, so David is the Julian. Yeah. And uh, and Sean Cassidy is the Sean Lennon in that mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah, so David, Ca have you read David Cassidy's book? No. Oh, you, I got I to gotta bring that. If you, do you want to read it? Sure. The uh, Come On, Get Happy Boy. What a, what an unhappy dick he is. Sean, uh, David Cassidy. Right Boy, he hates his dad. Jed hates him. He hates his dad like nobody has ever hated his dad. He doesn't have to hate him anymore. No, because he burned himself alive. <laughs> he says with a chuckle. I think he had it coming, though. He was just a bastard. Yeah. Just a terrible person. Yeah, and you're right. She really chose poorly with that guy. Mm -hmm. What is it about those? What is it about chicks that choose guys like that? You know what I mean? I mean, really, he was a truly terrible person. Mm -hmm. All right. She, uh, you know, anyway, I'm just saying. No, well, I'm sure she's much happier now. I should call and find out. In her twilight years. I should, I should stop by and see if she's doing all right. Her and Barbara Eden. All right. I like Barbara Eden, too. She uh, still looks terrific. Oh, Barbara Eden is still... You know, how old is Barbara Eden? Because oh, she's going to be up there, too. Well, because the thing is, I have always said that Barbara Eden is the oldest woman I, that I could think of that I would still have sex with. But, but you know, Shirley Jones may actually outstrip that. Well, maybe they'll both come over at the same time. <laughs> Did you really just say that? I can't believe it. <laughs> 
Sarah, how off-putting do you find these conversations on a scale of one to five? No, I've worked with you long enough. I don't even notice them So anymore. Barbara Eaton was born in 1934. So that makes her 78. Yeah. So she still wins. She's still older. All right. So Barbara Eden still wins, but someday she'll die. I don't die. think it's 78. Yeah. 78. This is 2008. I don't know. This is 1934. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to sit back and let you figure it out. Hold on. Don't... Uh... She was born in 19... Do you want some soothing zither? I'd love some. She is, she is 70 years old. No, oh, wait a minute. She was born in 1934. She is 73. Keep working. She's 73. This is 2008. But her birthday was in August. Oh, well, okay. Okay, I suppose. I guess if you're not rounding, then yes, okay. So I guess if her uh, birthday is not a round. because I'm not rounding off the number? I guess... You said she was 70, like, 10 seconds ago. That's, which is just, like, that's not well, correct. Well, that was close. <laughs> I guess when you're really old, I guess. Fine. I, I ended up with a tutor every summer for math most of my life. <laughs> tutor? I barely knew her. Okay. Uh, I didn't have that, but I did have correspondence courses for math. I did. How does that work? I took up, it works because you're about to fail uh, high school and not graduate, and oh, your mother geez. doesn't want you to bring further shame on the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, following in the footsteps of my siblings, who had all been arrested or gone to jail for drug dealing, my mother decided that I at least was not going to fail out of high school. And when I was a senior, I was perilously close to uh, failing out of high school. And as I have, as I have oft told the tale, uh, it did in fact come down to one test. There was a test that I took my senior year that determined whether I graduated from high school or not. And that I only passed, I won't give the teacher's name because he probably doesn't even want to remember that I exist, uh, but the only reason I graduated from high school is because a I was taking bonehead science, which is science for retards, and the teacher let me, for the final exam, the teacher let me uh, uh, do it as an oral exam. Ha ha, insert joke here. But the teacher let me take an oral exam. He didn't make me do a written test. He let me do a, an oral presentation in front of the class. And as I think we all know, that is something that is kind of in my wheelhouse even then. So I was allowed to do what I do best, which is to stand in front of a group of people and act like an idiot to get their attention and to desperately be the, the, the object of everybody's focus. Um, but he let me do the, an oral exam. He gave me 100%, which I didn't really deserve. And that is the reason I was able to graduate from high school. Anything less than that, I would have failed. They would have left me back. And uh, anyway, but the, but the other part of that is I had failed all of my math classes. Look, let me put it this way. I failed math classes for athletes. I mean, literally, I literally took a math class taught by the football coach. Honestly, his name was Steve something or other. He, I, I mean, a, a, a monumentally stupid man, but he taught, he was the football coach teaching a math class that was largely just filled with drug users and athletes and, you know, me. And I didn't even pass that. Um, cause I just didn't care and they couldn't make me care and I didn't go to class and my mom finally just broke down and she, God bless her, uh, my mom got me correspondence classes, which literally was like they would send you worksheets in the mail and they would say, look, this is like three pages of really easy math problems. You have like 10 days to do them. Just please do them and send them back. And it was essentially a, like a, a racket where, you know, if as long as you paid the money, uh, and didn't cover your, your worksheets with like fecal matter, they would give you an A. Uh, and that, along with this oral exam I was allowed to take, is the only reason I graduated. So, no, I'm right with you in, in terms of not knowing any math. 
The point is, Shirley Jones, hot. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Barbara Eaton, 73. 70 is still really... <laughs> is that my point? <laughs> Hi, you're on the. Sounds like a story problem. To solve my math problem. <laughs> this really is like the only way I would be able to follow math. Rick wishes to have sex with two women, but wants to start with the older one. One was born in 1934. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Blue Horseshoe loves Yahoo. Excellent. Good reference, sir. Thank you. Yes. Hey, uh, I think we can trace the white man uh, uh, saxophone deal uh-huh. back to our senior hall in 1992 and Bill Clinton. That's true. When Bill Clinton played the saxophone on Arsenio Hall, that was pretty white. Somebody else noted that it was our favorite song, Baker Street, oh, yeah. by Jerry Rafferty, that turned the saxophone yeah. white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, where was I going? Oh, Shirley Jones. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, in the sixth grade, we did the Music Man. Yeah. And they showed us Music Man. Yep. And uh, how do I put this? That's how I knew I was becoming a man, by seeing Shirley Jones on that screen at 12 years old. Does that make sense? Yes, it does, sir. It makes the... Beautiful. Yeah. And, oh, have you seen the movie that she's in that's about some guy that moves in with his grandmother? He's a video game tester. No. When and, did this come out? Uh, his grandmother is Doris Roberts. Shirley Jones plays a nymphomaniac. No, get out. You are lying. Yeah, and one of the other video game testers actually... Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're talking it's to my... It's on right now. Which, you shut your mouth. Just hold on a second. Okay. Don't go anywhere. Okay, hold on. Why does okay. my computer... Why does it say paper jump? Uh, let's see. Shirley Jones. Hold on, i got to go back to... i got to find out what movie this is. Hey, did you, Tim, did you, did you ever see this horrible Disney film that came out in the 70s where Shirley Jones uh, it was the music teacher for a band at a, at, like a, at a church? No. And it was one of those movies where, like, the only way they could get the kids to pay attention was to make it rock and roll. And it was like she turns the church choir into a rock band called the Shortcakes. I don't remember that. I never saw that. It was terrible. All right, when? Okay, here's. I'm going to run down some movies. You tell me what you're talking about here. We got. I'll start with the uh, Cops and Roberts. This is my father. Gideon. Ping. Shriek. If you know what I did last Friday the 13th. Oh, surely. Manna from Heaven. The Creature. Sunny Side Up Trailer Park. Raising Genius. Grandma's Boy. Grandma's Boy. That's it. Okay, I'm clicking on Grandma's and Boy it's right hilarious. now. Hilarious. It came out last movie. year. Yeah. Boy, here we go. Um, co-stars include uh, uh, Shirley Jones, um, follows 35-year-old cannabis-smoking video game tester who is forced by circumstance to move into the technology-free home of his grandmother, um, blah, 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 uh, yada, yada, blah, 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 uncontrollable partying, blah, 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 blah. But are you saying at one point he has sex with Shirley Jones's character? Uh, one of the other video game testers does. Oh, that is so hot. And it's on yeah. HBO right now? It's on HBO right now. I'm going to watch and that this weekend before I my wife gets home. Forget who it is, but the gal that plays uh, uh, the boss of this video game testing outfit is hot as hell, too. Is she also an older woman? No, she is young and kicks their butt. <laughs> young and nubile. Yeah. All and right. jo uh, Jordan Sparks is yeah. a huge football fan, but it's more the form of Aretha Franklin huge. It's not... <laughs> It's last year in American Idol. They didn't even show her from below the neck. <laughs> She's a huge fan. That's like in the. That's like in that in South Park, the movie where that woman comes in, or or in whatever that episode, the Terrence and Philip, where that fat the fat woman comes in. I'm a huge fan, and Terrence goes, "You're a huge fan, all right." All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer Hudson, huge. That's uh, all right. Bye now. Bye now. She's a huge fan, like Aretha Franklin. Excellent. Here's Tim Riley. Well, anyway. 
Uh, <laughs> it is Friday. It is Friday. <laughs> and we got nothing to do for like another 45 minutes, so. Well, the CEO of Clear Channel met with several other radio executives today and said... Did he meet with them over ISDN? No, this is a, apparently at uh, some big seminar uh -huh. for the future of the radio industry. And he said, creativity in radio will keep things in the lead. The solution is to come up with more creative ways to sell the product. Creativity is a lifeblood of radio. And Drew chuckles from the audience when he added that consolidation has not hurt the median at all. You know, and it's funny, A, that the audience knew enough to laugh, and B... How telling is it not, and I don't mean to seem like we're just picking on Clear Channel, but they are the most egregious offenders. That, But even the president and CEO of uh, CBS Radio is here, Dan Mason. But I mean, but it had spoken like a true guy from Clear Channel, but he says, the solution, would you read his statement back again? See if you can spot why this is the ultimate Clear Channel statement. The solution is to come up with more creative ways to sell the product. We must challenge the others to come up with solutions. Okay. Creativity is a lifeblood of radio. Okay. Come up with more creative ways to sell the product, not come up with... A more creative product. Consolidation has not hurt the medium. Yeah. Whatever, friend. The, the, that, that right there. Anybody go, why does radio suck so badly? Well, because there is no thought given uh, in many quarters uh, to making a more creative or better product. It's just how to sell the dreck you're already creating. The name of the seminar was Take It From The Top. Yeah. I think the, I think the uh, Clear Channel seminar is better titled Take It From The Rear. <laughs> well, Frank Orenzik is on the verge of making history, driving his old standby. The pickup truck, he says, is about to pass the one million mark. That's one million miles. And it's a Chevy, a Silverado. Uh, apparently, he said the truck is uh, 1,200 miles from a million. And once he hits a mark, he will retire the vehicle. He credits proper maintenance and a good measure of luck, especially for a GM vehicle. Well, I'm on the truck to rack up so many miles. He's had more than 300 oil changes and tune-ups at uh, the business where he bought it. It goes in every 3,000 miles. It's had four radiators, three gas tanks, five transmissions, and six water pumps. And the engine has not, not yet been overhauled. Uh, he brought the Silverado in June 1996 after the original owner put 41,000 miles on it. He uses it to deliver seafood to three states, putting on 85,000 miles a year. You know what you sound like right now? Either Charles Kuralt... Or one of the political candidates when he does the thing about mentioning a specific person he met in that town. Mm -hmm. You know? I met a woman like Janelle Parsons. Janelle works 75 hours a night at a mill on the other side of town and has 400 children at home. You know, that, uh, that Edwards thing. Just as a side note, back on the Clear Channel thing for a minute. When they keep saying that we have to come up with better creative ways to sell our dreck. Radio is not an old medium. It is an engaging medium, uh -huh. says the Clear Channel. Well, which is true when done well. Think bigger. Change the paradigm. The what, does, what does that even mean? Well, never mind. But you know what this reminds me of? This great, you know, I talk about that great book, Starbucks, that I read by Taylor Clark, which really is a, a pretty great book. They're doing away with their breakfast sandwiches. I know. I know. No, they're sandwiches, period. Mm -hmm. I think they're getting rid I'm going to write that down. Hold on, we're they might get rid of coffee next. Talk about it. We can only be so lucky. Talk about that later. Sandwiches, Starbucks. Um, long as they keep the coffee cake, that's all that matters. The, you know, this guy makes a great point, which is... Less is more is an extreme success. We've moved on to other initiatives. You're simply going to have to find a way to do more with less. Of course, I have a golden parachute. If I get fired tomorrow, I can I, retire. I am all set for the next 30 years. Yeah, exactly. Well, this guy notes in the book Starbucks, and this is very true, that 
I mean, you know, when he he talks about how in like 1929 there was this study that came out about how to make the perfect cup of coffee, and it was basically that you grind it to a certain coarseness, and then you put it through water of a certain temperature, and then you let it sit for blah blah blah, and then it's good. And he's like, that is how everybody, all the gourmet coffee companies do it today. They follow this one thing that they discovered like 85 years ago at like Harvard about how to make the perfect cup of coffee, and he says it is therefore amazing. That for most of the 20th century, Americans drank terrible coffee. Yeah, out of cans. Out of cans. That it was just awful. There were aisles and aisles of cans of coffee. Aisles, and it was just staggering. the last drop. When you, th- when you, you always th- catch your finger on the top of the can <laughs> opening it, or almost dumped it all over you. It's amazing when you think about the fact that up until, really, people hate to hear this, but up until the rise of Starbucks, most of America drank awful coffee. Terrible. Watery, acidic crap in a cup. Terrible. And he notes something very true, which is true of Clear Channel and many other radio folks, that rather than ever making better coffee, they just com- they put all of their money into bigger and better ad campaigns to sell a bad product. It never occurred to them to, like, you know, make the coffee better. They just came up with different advertising campaigns to sell the same old swill. You get out there and sell that dead air. Exactly. <laughs> I'd like you to get out there and sell this 200-song library hosted by a robot. <laughs> Of course, people can mix the same amount of songs on a $75 iPod. No, 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 but Tim. No, no, Tim. Young people have iPod fatigue. Mm-hmm. That's true. They're tired of it. They're coming back to music radio. In droves. So that is exactly so the same thing is happening in a lot of radio quarters right now as has happened with coffee. They never bothered to make the product any better. They just and found the same old tired people at these seminars. Ad campaigns to sell the same crap. And it just as like all of those old school coffee companies got decimated by the rise of Pete's and Starbucks and Seattle's Best. Uh, so that radio companies that just insist on try, putting all their money into advertising the same terrible formats and the same cookie-cutter garbage everywhere, uh, they will go down like wheat before the sickle. It'll yeah. happen. It's happening right now. All right. We know everything. Let's take a break. Well, many of these people have fired us in the past. It's true. But now, they, now they're on panels. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. We'll take a break because Sarah, I do believe, does have to get some coffee here. So we'll... Uh, be back after this. No? You've had all no, your coffee? No, I've had enough coffee. She needs to overhaul the transmission on her truck. Yes. Oh, excellent. Grandma's Day has one star. Oh, I'm setting it to record right now. Back after this. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I've got a terrible saxophone song to play. I wish I'd known this an hour ago. I've got a terrible song to play later now. I know it makes me a bad person. I don't like this song. It's very soothing if you're driving the traffic jam on Highway 26 trying to get home. I suppose. I mean, I like George Michael. I really do, but... He was such a beautiful man. He's still attractive. He's just... Did you see him? You know. I'm sure you didn't see that. Horrible... Horrible Eli Stone show last night. Oh, no, I read a review of it, Oh, though. my God. It's like Allie McBeal for men. Like, they've replaced her kookiness. They've replaced the dancing baby she hallucinates oh. with with George Michael. Really? So he keeps um, hallucinating. You know, all of a sudden, I'll walk into a room, and George Michael will be standing on a table singing Faith. Is it... Uh, it's so bad. Is it by David Kelly? 
the I show? I don't know. And it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because there's Johnny Lee Miller in it. Uh, you know, I really did like Alan McBeal, but, you know, that's a show that you can't clone. People have tried to clone, and I, you know, I'll say that unashamedly as a man. I, I, Alan McBeal was a pretty good show. He was really good. First couple seasons, really good. It, it kind of burned out. But, you but you know, whimsy is really hard to sustain, and it's even harder to duplicate. Oh, and Robert Downey Jr. on that show was so great. Oh, man. Do you remember? Let me just... Let me switch on my uh, switch on my dork for Allie McBeal mode here. Wait, hold on. So, do you remember that one episode of Allie McBeal where where she comes and she's watching him at the piano and he doesn't know he's being watched and he sings "River" by Joni Mitchell? Mm-hmm. Hi. How you doing? Well, you know what? That's just as much of a show for guys as anything else. I mean, it's a bunch of hot girls in tight shorts. Skirts, making out sometimes. Making out and getting into girl fights. I mean, totally. Okay, more manly here's another that. thing. Do you remember that? Do you, oh, remember, God, <laughs> do you remember that one episode of Allie McBeal? I shouldn't have made you comfortable with it. It was Allie and, uh, Jesus, was it Portia de Rossi or was it Lucy Liu? I forget who. But there was this one episode of Allie McBeal where, and I had forgotten about this episode until I read the Starbucks book. Where Allie walks into the office with her morning latte, and she does this, um... Are you regretting bringing this up? Well, I'm just saying, I don't even know if I can use the phrase he uses in the book to describe it. I mean, I guess I could, but it feels crude. It feels crude in my mouth. It feels crude when I when I start to say it, so I will simply say that... She w- it looked as though she were engaging in a sexual act okay. with the coffee cup. With the coffee cup? It was like she brings up the latte to her mouth, and it's a whole lot of, like, licking, uh-huh. and because there's the foam. Yeah. And it was a very phallic engaging with the first hot latte of the day. And, I mean, it really... And that had to be it, been Lucy Lou. No, but it was but it was Calista Flockhart, too. It was her and a co-worker doing it at the same time, which made it, like, even more so. So, literally, it did look, look like she was performing on, on the latte. Hmm. And, I mean... You're right. That was uncomfortable. I'm just saying. But that show... But Allie McBeal broke all kinds of new ground. It really did. Um, so, but this, but anyway, so that whatever that Eli Stone, it's terrible. It is so uncomfortably bad. It was so bad. I couldn't even, like, the dialogue was terrible. Jo- the only good thing was Johnny Lee Miller, and he was, like, very wooden. Wait, who is that? He's, he was sick boy and train spotting. He was okay. married to Angelina Jolie. That's right. He's a beautiful man. Final observation here. We'll go to the news with Tim Riley. Then I've got more terrible saxophone to play. Then some calls. Then Scott Daly. Then blah, blah, blah. Then... And I go home to lay on the sofa. Um, so, final uh, thing. Uh, you have seen that movie, the TV set. David Duchovny, Sigourney Weaver, the Judd Apatow. No. Really, honestly, I have to say this. I had so, it rented and I watched it three times. If, and I, ha- I have to talk about it because it's, such a, it's a movie that got so overlooked. If they had just waited until, like, Knocked Up or something came out of it and said, from Judd Apatow. But, I mean, they just didn't. But... Uh, but it's such a great movie. It's called The TV Set with David Duchovny. I found a lot of my friends don't like it. And they're like, oh, it's okay. It's a black, black comedy. It's not fart jokes. You know what I mean? It's not like super bad where it's a bunch of guys getting hit in the, in, in the junk with something. It's, it's, you know, it's a smart comedy. And in America, smart comedy finds uh, it's a, that's a tough road to hoe. Um, anyway, but you know the guy who plays the wacky sitcom lead? You know, he's the wacky sitcom character that makes you cringe. Mm-hmm. I saw oh. this funny thing. He is. Did you see that now in real life? That guy is actually starring in a sitcom with Jeffrey Tambor, and I don't know what it, I saw an ad for it the other day. 
And it's like blah 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 sitcom starring, and it's that guy who stars as the idiot on the, in the on that sitcom. Now, have the you TV ever set. seen the idiot from Undeclared, who that character is based it's on? Clearly made on model. Oh my yeah. god, I've actually yeah. tried to follow his career a little to see what he's done. He's done nothing. He's no. done bit parts, and he just looks so annoying in every picture I've it's seen of him. It's gonna be interesting to see if that guy can if what he actually does when he really does have to play a sitcom character in real life. Anyway, so watch it if you if you get a chance. Rent it. It's out now. It's called the TV set from Judd Apatow and Jake Kasdan with David Duchovny. You really, really do want to want to watch it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. We have several things to cover here. We have some Britney Wait. news. Oh, is it breaking Britney news? Well, no, not really. All right. It's kind of breaking. Here's your Britney watch. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get to these calls here in a short while. Selecting people while I talk about Ellen McBeal. I love this song. So, Jamie and Lynn Spears are determined to keep Sam Lefty away from their daughter. They're in court today trying to gain conservatorship over their ailing child. The first step of their plan, uh, apparently they even changed the locks of Beverly, uh, the Beverly Hills home where Brittany lives and where Sam has been staying, so the locks have been changed there. They want him out of her life completely, uh, so they're in court today, and Sam has been trying to get Brittany out of UCLA Medical Center, where she was admitted on the 72-hour psychiatric call Wednesday. An insider says that Sam was seeking legal advice with a view... To be given Britney's power of attorney, which would give him control over every aspect of her life. The court has the power to create a conservatorship, which would allow Jamie and Lynn to make medical decisions on behalf of Britney. So uh, they believe that Lefty and Adam Galib are squandering her assets as well. Uh, and all those police cars, motorcycles, and helicopter that helped bring Britney to the uh, booby hatch cost LAPD an estimated $25,000. Jesus, read the taxpayers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brittany was seen arriving at UCLA Medical Center before dawn yesterday, accompanied by the type of escort normally reserved for president. Nearly a dozen officers on motorcycles, as well as a Morton police cars, at least one helicopter hovering overhead. Police officials had defended the motorcade, saying it was provided to uh, give Spears uh, a paparazzi uh, proof leave of absence from her home without endangering her to the public. Now, have you have you seen this thing about the status of her hold? This was the thing that Dr. Drew was talking about yesterday. Uh, so I, I don't know. If, I apologize if you already have this. Um, so let's see here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Manic state. Blah, blah, blah. Screaming. Blah, 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 blah. Adderall. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. Brittany is under 24-hour supervision in a psychiatric ward and cannot even bathe by herself. Is forced. I bet she loves this. I, is forced to because that girl can't follow any rules. Is forced to wear the mandatory uh, assless green robe. And hospital wristband, um, but then uh, let's see. Here's he, where is the um, where's the thing? Uh, oh, here we go. So she has been uh, apparently classed as quote gravely disordered. Yes, I hear that term being used. And I yeah, I I looked I looked this up on the net, and it, it wasn't like on a gossip site. Like I, I went to like a medical, like the, the American Medical Association site or whatever. Gravely disordered. Apparently, this is what Dr. Drew was saying. He said it's almost impossible. In California, to get somebody classed as gravely disordered. Well, because it, everybody who lives there is. Yeah, it, 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 it's like the most I mean, the extreme. Would be 
I guess what it means is, uh, gravely disordered means that you are unable to fulfill such basic needs for yourself as feeding, clothing, or obtaining shelter. And it's the thing they use to involuntarily stick you in the nuthatch. So, uh, so I guess that's almost impossible to get. Uh, but they did, but they did do, uh, you know, do that to her. So I guess she's in there for uh, for the long haul. Well, you know about what happened last time, where she she threw such a bitchy temper tantrum, where she was, you know, screaming and demanding to go home and yanking out her IV or whatever. But I guess she has to wear the robe all the time. She has the hospital thing on, and that she can't get out, and she can't even bathe by herself. Oh, what I'd give to watch. Not her bathing. Who's herself, bathing but... Brittany now? <laughs> bathing Brittany tonight on. Um, so. Oh man, I I really I just I just pay anything to just to have a camera in there watching this whole thing, just to just to have a camera in there to watch as someone finally makes her obey a rule. How satisfying would that be? I, I wonder if she's in a mental institution if she has to have her uh, her weave taken out. Oh how well I bet how, she has to because remember, in jail you have to. Remember how we were all rooting for um for Michael Jackson to be convicted just so we could see him without the wig and the fake nose? I mean just because be I wanted to see him in his full on Skeletor thing, no hair, no nose. And probably no real skin of any kind. So just to be there when Britney is finally forced to follow some rules. BFF Sam Lutby talks exclusively to ease Ryan Seacrest. BFF. Hello again, everyone. I'm Ashlyn Gorse for E! News Now. While Britney has been holed up in the UCLA Medical Center's psych ward, it seems her family and friends have been battling it out in public over who cares the most for her. Last night, Brit's friend slash manager, Sam Levy, called Ryan Seacrest exclusively to set the record straight. Why not? Sam Lutby spent a good part of Britt's first night at the hospital with her, even leaving to get her an In-N-Out cheeseburger and milkshake. Right after he left Britt's side, he called E's Ryan Seacrest, and Ryan recapped their conversation. Get me Ryan Seacrest. He said, you see her cry? You see her beg you not to turn on her? He said, I have three sisters. I would do the same for my sisters. Despite tabloid reports to the contrary, Sam Where also is from? insists he's e. not with Britt for the money. He says he does not get paid by Britney Spears. Not a dollar. He said that he's never been paid by the media for a photograph either, or any sort of footage. As for the Britster's parents, Lynn Britster. and Jamie Spears, Sam has some choice words he shares with Ryan. He said, and I quote, her parents are incapable of telling the truth and incapable of sympathizing. He says that they're more concerned about money and their own image than they are about Britney's condition. How did Ryan Seacrest? It was given to him, like everything else. <laughs> That's why I love you, Tim Riley. I had <laughs> never mind. <laughs> that really does sort of. I guess I wasn't going to argue that it was all handed to him because clearly it was. But I guess I'm wondering, like, why him of all the people? A lot of people say that. <laughs> do they, Tim? Yes, they people do. like who? Oh, there, there are those who have been slaving this business for many years. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, uh. <laughs> Anything more from uh, Britney World? No, no. There you go. There's your, there's your Britney watch for Friday. <laughs> Excellent. Friends in Nickel Arcade. Wonderful. 
All right, I feel bad. I have to get these calls because people are holding forever. Let me move these. We'll do some more news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. Hey, what's up? Listen, the uh, thing about the uh, the saxophone and all that being such a, a white guy type instrument. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen has the E Street Band. Yes, yes, he does. And his saxophone Clarence Clemens. player is a black guy. The big man. Hmm? Yes, no, I, when I brought this up with Joni DeRosa the other night, uh, she said, she goes, yeah, why don't you go up to Clarence Clemens and say that? Because that's the guy who plays saxophone for Springsteen. And I, and I said that he was sort of the, the exception that proves that. I mean, I'm just saying it, it, at one point in musical history, it was almost solely associated with, because I was like, what about John Coltrane? And I, there was a time when it was associated with a lot of, you know, the, the, the very stylish jazz and R&B and whatever. But it does seem like in the last 20 years or so, when you hear that saxophone start playing, you know that like a terrible uh, like white synthesizer line is, is about to come up behind it. Do you know what I mean? Or a bunch of smooth jazz or something. Actually, no. I don't know what you mean because I've never really seen instruments, musical instruments, as being uh, race-centric. Well, yes, you're a much better person than all of us. Well, wh which I guess kind of segues into my... Hold on, listen to this. Hold on, just hold on a second. Okay. While you're While you're talking, just... Wait for it. Up the very soulful saxophone. I'm sorry, I'm It's like I can just feel Izod clothing appearing on my body. Jesus, God. Don't even get me. I have a whole thing to tell the story about that song. The best thing I've ever heard done with the sax is on Pink Floyd, the final cut. Uh, oh, where it morphs into they, the scream. They, they, yeah, they sort of yeah. the, the, the gunners into the, into the sax. Yeah, the, uh, vice versa. the Gunner's Dream, that song. Yeah. Is it the Gunner's Dream? Yeah, that's the name of that song. Great album. Oh, in right. fact, I think one of their very best, yeah. and I'm surprised it never really got the recognition it deserved. Well, it's because Waters left, and then the group is trying to expunge him from the musical history in whatever way they can. Uh, we have to run here in a second. Final thoughts, sir. That's all right. Thanks. That's Thank all good. Thank you, That's sir. There you go. Yeah, remind me to talk about uh, Candy Dulfer, who is the artist there. That song from her album, Sexuality. Oh, boy. Wanting more candy. <laughs> Ugh. Boy, I hate that song. I know that you like that song, Sarah. I remember from when I was like in fifth grade. Yeah, I got a whole reason for hating it that we'll get to. Let me do these calls and we'll do more news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show on KCMD Portland. Hey, Rick. What's up? Yeah, Shirley Jones, best movie. Yeah. El Elmer Gantry. I don't think I've seen that, Tim. You I haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be a classic. I what is, what's the deal with that film? What is it? She's a prostitute. And, really? Uh, she, Elmer Gantry is an evangelist Boy, who creepy. has used her services of the past, and she's trying to destroy him. But she's got a couple of scenes in that where she's in a flip and a bra. 
made in like 1952, which is she's absolutely stunning. You know, Sarah and I were having a conversation about something completely unrelated to this a few weeks back, and Sarah just sort of ended the conversation. It was about something else altogether. And Sarah just ended the conversation by saying, you know, all of this just destroys my remaining faith in men. And you know what? Conversations like this don't help. But you know what? We are what we are, Sarah, and I'm unashamed. Well, it's got Burt Lancaster as uh, Elmer Gantry. In it. Burt, and it's Burt made Lancaster like 1952. Yeah, okay, and, uh, I'll have to seek it out. I'll put it on my Netflix she's thing. 18 is her first movie, and she's just incredible. It's you have incredible. to add that she's 18. She's barely legal, Rick. All right, thank you. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. See, I, until he said, and she's 18, that's really when it crosses the... One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Uh, really quick side note, hyper-colored T-shirts, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, you guys were um, talking about Starbucks earlier. I yes. gave up coffee primarily due to the uh, discovery of Viso about two months ago. Excellent. Good for you. And um, so Starbucks, as you know, long story short, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of marketing their product as a... Uh, as a culture, not necessarily sure, as a Starbucks like experience, yes. They're in the business of serving coffee to people. Okay, so um, about uh, a week and a half ago, I went to go see an old friend of mine in Beaverton, and uh, I thought it would be really nice after not seeing him for a while to get him a cup of coffee. So I pull into a Starbucks. I'm not making this up. Two people get out of the car at about the same time I do. One guy kind of goes a light jog. Another woman goes and briskly walk to get ahead of me in line. So I'm watching these guys just sprint to get in line. I get in there. I'm neck deep in baby strollers. I get to the line. There's a lady writing a check for a cup of coffee. And then I get disciplined by the barista for not delivering uh, the drink uh, verbally in chronological order. I mean, it's it was a nightmare. The, the and, problem with uh, Starbucks, and again, I don't, I'm not a Starbucks knocker. Like, I have no problem with it. I'm not opposed to Starbucks. But they are a victim of their own success. Uh, and I think that what I mean by that is, like, is Starbucks, this is why they end up putting a, st a store across the street from each other, because th they are now so busy. And I think there's this thing at Starbucks, Sarah might know more about this, I think they've got a thing where it's like every order has to be completed within, like, three minutes or something. It yeah, like... the, the, that person at the end of the line, like, they need to be greeted before they spend, like, a minute in the store and their order, they should have already had the whole process gone through. And, and it's, I mean, it's amazing that more the baristas don't kind of snap because you're having to deal with some idiot soccer mom who, as you said, is writing a check, you know, for something that's, you know, $3.14. And, you know, and, of course, and think about this. And, by the way, and the, you know, I don't mean to pick on them, but the next time maybe there is a person serving you coffee or, you know, this is a whatever, uh, who, who maybe you feel is a little bit grumpy, feel sympathy for baristas for this reason that they are having to perform a stressful job in under three minutes for a group of people who, by the way, a whole line, an endless, unbroken chain of people who wait for it have not yet had their coffee. Well, I actually was a barista for a year, so I totally had sympathy yeah. for it. It wasn't. It's not Starbucks themselves that I was angry at. It was just that they, they market themselves as a culture, and wow. it was. It's it's much left of a culture, and it's more of like a holocaust of thought with these people. A holocaust of thought. But, but listen, uh, really quick, wow. I'll let you go. Please yes. to be watching a movie called Primer. It's a movie. It's everybody tells me to watch that. Oh my gosh! It's it's one of those things where you if you once you watch it once you'll watch it back to back like three times. You have to to understand it, but it's an extremely forward thinking movie and it's shot in kind of a documentary style. People have already told you about it. And low budget, it. yeah, it's a low budget sci-fi film. Everybody has sort of told me about it. It's on the list of things I'm going to try to get to very soon. It's awesome. Well, have a good weekend. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right, there you go. All right. I found a song for us to take the break. Really? Is it? Mm -hmm. Is it? 
It's sax Does delicious. it have sax appeal? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Uh, here, let's do one more here, and we'll take a break. Somebody's crashed an SUV through a ladies' clothing store downtown. Downtown here? Yeah. What ladies' store? The Mercantile. Where is that? That is at 735 Southwest Park Avenue. And uh, the Max went by there, and I think it said they're having their moving sale or something. <laughs> Apparently, she whipped, ripped through the iron gates, ripped the g- gates right out of the ground, and pushed them through the glass into the gift department. Glass went flying everywhere. Is anybody injured? No. Oh, then this is a great story. This uh, woman driver came around the court, accidentally put her foot on the gas instead of the brake. Well, you know, Tim. They've been at their cu- current location for 30 years. Nothing like this has ever happened before. That's great. To the mercantile. Excellent. Well done. I like the word mercantile. Sounds, mercantile sounds kind of, fancy. It is it? sort of a satisfying word to say, mercantile. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me just, real quickly, before we go into break with whatever song, whatever thing Sarah's going to favor us with, let me talk about this Candy Dolfer song. Lily was here. Here's why I hate this song. A, there was a while when that smooth jazz station was on here, which I think just flipped to that all Margaritaville station. But they would play this song all the time because in the world of smooth jazz, this is like Stairway to Heaven. I mean, this song is an unbelievably popular gold at this point. I mean, it gets played all the time on smooth jazz stations. But here's the thing. I used to work, like a lot of us, at an underfunded, uh, in this case, a rock station. Had no money, no budget, whatever. And so if you go into our production room here, CBS, as much as we sort of poke fun at them, they do spend money on a lot of stuff. And one of the things we got here is a great production library. Library of lots and lots of music to put behind commercials, promos, spots, liners, whatever. If you've ever worked at a radio station, though, where they were too cheap to buy you a production library, every DJ would just sort of compile a secret personal stash of CDs Hmm. that had songs you could use for a commercial. CDs that had long instrumental intros or long guitar solos, or if you were really lucky, a CD that had some instrumental songs, four or five minutes long, that you could use over and over again as the background for your commercial. This, her CD, Sax Appeal or Saxuality or whatever it was called, uh, was one of those CDs at this rock station I worked at. And so as a result... I heard every one of the, like the ten songs on this album used a thousand different times, as be- for like you know. Phoebe's uh, Thimble Store in East Gresham <laughs> reminds you to drive carefully. S T O P spells stop. A stop sign. A red sign on the pole. Care about our children. Phoebe's Thimble Store. <laughs> exactly. That's uh, that's why I uh, blah blah blah. Candy Dolfer, and that young man's name was Rick Everson. <laughs> Doing this. That's for Mark the Brit. Suggested it. Thank you, Mark. Jesus. Please. Is it going to be clean? Um. This is Beverly Hills Cop with notoriously foul-mouthed. Um, Maybe we'll just listen to it for a second. You know, hold on. Actually, I think I have something over here. Hold on. Okay. Wait. I've. So I have another uh, version of it. It's never ending, Rick Emerson. Wait, I think I might have a bad cover of The Heat Is On. Hold on. The Heat Is On. The Heat Is On. I think I've got The Heat Is On by Gloria Gaynor. That's probably a different song, though. How about this one? Wait, hold on. Boy, those chips were really good. I cannot believe that you ate that entire bag in, like, less than a minute. Well, here's the thing about that. What? What? There's nothing about I look that. over and you're like you're shaking the like little crumbs into your mouth. You, then you do that too. 
Do you pick up the bag when you're done with the chips and shake the the crumbs of the remainder in your mouth? How do you no. get that out? You can't just jam them. your hand into that. You the leave the... Oh, I'm sorry. I do because then I trick myself into thinking that I left like 10 or 20 calories, but I'm like, ah. Whatever. All right, let's see if this is actually going to play. What a terrible song this is. Well, you really... It, 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 it. You really know who was the Lennon and who was the McCartney in that relationship in the Eagles. So when they left, Don Henley did um, Dirty Launder, Dirty Laundry and The End of the Innocence and, you know, uh, what's that other song he did? Oh, wait, hold on. Let's see what, let's see what this is. I think this might be a bad cover of The Heat Is On. It says it's by The Hit Crew. Ooh. But if it's a cover, they probably won't have sex. I eat my own words. This is a terrible cover. Oh, the heart of the matter. That's that Don Henley song that everybody listens to when they've broken up with somebody. It's not a bad Don... Wow, there's a noose. There's a noose? There, no, no, no. I was going to say there's a new synthesizer in the oh. background. Imagine that you're a musician and this is your career, making a bad cover version of The Heat Is On. Your children don't respect you. You can't get ladies with this. I think I may have yet another version. Oh, let's see. This is on an album called Luau Party Music. Wow. Woo! Okay, I think I've gotten all the comedy out of this that can be had. All right, we're done. Um, I have a good one to go to the next break with, and really? it's a good one. I think I'm out of saxophone. Uh, terrible oh, you just saxophone gotta dig music. deep inside of yourself and be like, where were these glorious <laughs> saxophone songs that I know? Okay. Um, no, here's my thing with potato chips. Okay, during the break, hold on, just so you can know, because I know people never get tired of hearing me talk about eating. I just kept eating and eating. They probably like you talking about it rather than eating on the air. Well, that's the other thing. So I, I was in the kitchen just now, and I, I was I had a little, uh, you know, I was feeling a little, a little peckish. Triscuits. Well, the thing about the Triscuits, I like Triscuits, and I know you hate it when I use this phrase, mush mouth, but you know what? It's like if I eat a lot of starchy stuff during the show, then I get kind of blah, 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 you know? But if you drink it like it's out of a cup, then that's okay. <laughs> but if I just pour it into my gullet and swallow it without chewing. I swear, I almost didn't even see you chewing. If I eat it, if I unhinge my jaw like a velociraptor. Um, anyway, so I bought these Tim's, I love Tim's chips, I really do. And this is the jalapeno flavor. I prefer the Blair's Death Rain habanero chips, but they, 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 the guy, there's none of those, like, you won't stock them you anymore. You are all fighting over them, too. Like, they'll be in there one day, and then all of you crazy chip Me lovers. and Bozick and Cord all defend on the, uh, descend on the machine mm-hmm. like Gibbons. Um, anyway, so I ate these Tim's jalapeno, but the thing is, I wanted to get, you can't start a bag of Tim's jalapeno chips and then put them back on the shelf, because they'll just call to you. They'll call to you while you're trying to do the this program. Is your reasoning? Is. And also, uh, I wanted to, and I was hungry. So I just got to the very end, and there were like little crumbs and half chips in the bottom, chiplings. And you can't just not eat them. So I do what everybody, I think, does. Are you going to show me the bag to show yeah, me you there's... leave behind? Hold on. Here's your goldfish crackers. See, but there's like three whole crackers in there. How can you throw away food like that? Well, because my fingers couldn't reach in the corners anymore. I'm like, okay. And you're too good to tip the bag into your mouth. Is that it? I'm saying I'm better than that. I'm not. I'm totally going to eat these goldfish crackers. They were in the garbage, Rick. Don't eat them. Okay, they were in the... But they, the, the crackers themselves okay. weren't in the garbage. That's I thought you were going to put your mouth on them. No, not in the bag. No, I'm, I'm going to eat the crackers themselves, which were not in the trash, right? You know, even I, even I can't do that. No, you're right. I'm going to put them back in there. I dare you to. No. Really? Yeah. Do you dare me to eat these? Now, do you promise that these goldfish crackers haven't touched? Do you I you promise. spill they, them? No, they haven't touched. I was kind of wary when you were going to, like, dump them into your mouth. What if my mouth doesn't touch the bag? 
I think that's okay. Okay. I totally thought you were going to miss your mouth. There I go. That's a mouthful of goldfish cracker. I'm just saying. Oh, and here's the other thing. Note how we've completely done what we were trying to avoid, which is me eating on the air. I'm just going to be eating and eating. Um, <laughs> You're eating food out of the garbage. <laughs> you know, Tim is Tim is so glad he's not in the studio right now. I feel sorry for Tim <clears throat> sometimes. Because he's in the studio with children. I'm daring you to eat food out of the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. I get paid for this. Badly, but still. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what I was going to say. Okay, so here's what we're going to get to. Uh, Scott Dowley's going to join us here in a few. Uh, I've got uh, this thing of Chris Berman on ESPN going crazy. Uh, I've got a, uh, we, we do have another installment of It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard. And people only have, what, 42 more minutes to yes. submit their spam. Yes, 42 minutes, 42 minutes 42. to get uh, your uh, spam sculpture into 970.am. You're not uh, emailing it as such. You're going to 970.am. You click on the Lot of Spam logo. And uh, you submit your spam sculpture, uh, and then um, we're going to narrow it down to ten. Uh, ten finalists win copies of Monty Python's Life of Brian, the Immaculate Edition, uh, and then three finalists will bring their sculptures into the studio. So don't throw it away. You got to keep that, uh, keep the rats away from it and your kids. Um, and then one lucky winner will go to see Spam a Lot at the Wynn Hotel in Vegas, including hotel airfare. The lot. Uh, so go to 970.a and you got to get your spam sculpture uh, submitted uh, within the next 40 some minutes. So uh, go there right now. Um, uh, it, real briefly, uh, I was mentioning during the break that uh, Dave Zinn had given me a box of Annie's macaroni and cheese. You know who else has a macaroni and cheese fetish? Is Sarah Wagner. Yeah. Sarah Wagner loves, loves, loves dried, powdered, boxed, you know, bad macaroni and cheese. That's the only easy kind mac- I really love. Like, I, all I like is. Craft macaroni and cheese, or the like. like and Annie. I was explaining that to her, that it's like, I people, and I feel bad sometimes. Like, I don't even really like Annie's. I, I eat it because I think it's healthier. Well, but see, that's the thing is, how can it be healthier? It's macaroni in a box with, like, a cheese pack. I don't know. Is it easier to digest or something? That's everyone says, like, oh, well, I didn't get that 70-cent, you know, craft macaroni and cheese. I paid two thirty for the same size box because Annie's is better for you. How is it but better for you? that's crap. There's, I don't believe that one box of macaroni and cheese can be better than another box of macaroni and cheese. Because they'll say, well, it's organic, but what does that mean when it's know. just a when it's like a sealed foil bag of like cheese crap? I mean, there's no conceivable way that that is demonstrably better for you. I just don't buy it. I don't I don't get it at all because I thought maybe it was easier to di- to digest, but then I was thinking about it. I'm like, wait, I'm it's just a, telling this to myself. Nobody's told me that it's easier. Right, to you just believe it because it. You know what it is? Because it has like a tie-dyed peace symbol thing on the front and of it. And you pay three dollars for something you can use exactly for they, because you're paying three dollars and it's at Trader Joe's. That's the thing. I'm not trying to knock you know whatever. I'm just saying, it's a big box of sodium and starch. Like there's only so far you can bend that that health thing. So. um and the Annie's cheese just never mix, mixes properly. Yeah. Like with Kraft, it just coats every delicious noodle. Oh, you're making me hungry. It's so good. I'm going to buy macaroni and cheese after. Did like, I tell you? Was it you that I was having this discussion with? It might have been Sarah Wagner, actually. I was talking about, this is what we do. I was sitting around talking about macaroni and cheese yesterday afternoon. Because she also, but she likes the kind of homemade stuff, too. And I told her that, I like, have you ever gone to somebody's house and they make, and you can tell they spend a lot of time, like they'll make really good, like quality, crispy around the edges, macaroni and cheese, whatever, and it's like you eat it to be polite, but it's like you just, you, in the back of your head, you're just going, God, I wish I had some craft macaroni I really right hurt now. my grandma's feelings when I was younger because when my sister and I were going to visit her, she, yeah, she slaved all day making this homemade huge pot of macaroni and cheese because she knew it was my favorite food. Yeah. And then Heather and I ate it. And we're like, it's just not the same. Yeah, we're like, oh, this is disgusting. Uh, you know, it's like, it's sort of like when I was a kid, when I was about six years old, there's a picture of me somewhere in a Spider-Man costume for Halloween, and my parents... 
God bless him. And I really do feel bad about this. My mom, um, and, and I think it was because we didn't have a lot of money, but my mom also was really handy with, with the sewing machine. And she was, you know, very talented uh, with that kind of stuff. And she made a lot of our clothes. And my mom made me a Spider-Man costume from scratch. Like, 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 it's the whole sad story, like, dyed, you know, bought the fabric, dyed the fabric, you know, got a pattern, cut it out, sewed the costume, decorated it. My mom made me a homemade Spider-Man costume from scratch. She gives it to me. Oh. What do I immediately say? I want the kind from the store that's plasticky, you know, with, the, like, the bad elastic string on the back of the mask. The kids just say the crappiest thing. Because and I didn't don't know. know better. I, I know. Had, you know, and it's like the costume she gave me, in retrospect, was, like, so much better than the one at the store. And so I was just, and I felt, I felt bad about that. I've apologized to her probably, like, a hundred times for that. But that's the thing with macaroni. It's like you grow up, you know, like your dad would say when you were a kid, hey, have have a hamburger. And it's like something he's made on the grill or whatever, and you're not quite old enough to appreciate it, and you really just want it to come in a paper box with, like, a prize on the side. So, anyway. Uh, let's I'm not a... finding any difference. Uh, hello, uh, you're on the Rick Emerson Show about macaroni and cheese, sir. Oh, hey, the uh, the Annie's thing, yeah. the, the big conspiracy there is if you actually read the directions, she directs people to use, like, either fat-free milk or yogurt. So the ingre- other ingredients you use are supposed to be healthier. But it's the, but the actual so it's product the in the box is the any, same. Any box macaroni and cheese is probably something that's going to kill you. That's what I'm saying. Thank God. Um, well, then I'm never going to spend a single penny on Annie's again. I think there's no point. I think you're just buying spend, the name. I spend guilt money. I spend extra guilt $2. I believe I you, you are buying it, the illusion of health. If you have the spare time and energy, yeah. homemade macaroni and cheese both tastes better and is actually better for you because it isn't made out of chemicals. But Yeah, but see, when you say it tastes better, I think it is all relative. It look like, I know this is an extreme example, but something I mention a lot is that our good friend Aaron Duran, on Sunday mornings, I do believe he occasionally drags his lovely wife to eat menudo. And you know what? That's that's something you grow up eating, and therefore, as an adult, you you crave it. If you did not grow up eating menudo, you're not going to like it now. And I think because I grew up eating boxed macaroni and cheese, to me, it, it, here's a, here's an even better example. As I noted, it, this I am nearly 35 years of age. This last Christmas was the first year I ever had a real Christmas tree, and I did it to please my wife, who always had a real tree growing up. I every year of my life. I have had a fake Christmas tree, but in my head, fake Christmas trees seem more real because it's just what I was used to. That's that's interesting. I actually grew up with a real tree, and I much prefer fake trees because yeah. real trees are much messier and a much bigger headache. I'm with you, sir. All right. And, yes. And were you talking about um, the theoretically somebody that we don't know possibly dragging their tree out and burning it up in the middle of the street? Well, I was wondering how illegal it would be if I took my tree in the middle of the street where there was nothing flammable and just lit it on fire and let it burn out. Well, it's only really illegal if you get caught. So if you burn it up, it's like two blocks away and then run. You're, you, uh, this person who isn't you did that, you'd probably get away with it. Well, and the cops in my neighborhood usually have bigger fish to fry anyway. Yeah, your so. neighbors are all distractions. Seriously. I mean, it's like the least of their problems. All right. Thank you, sir. Right, okay, what I can find is that there, uh, Annie's is higher in fiber, but that's only in the whole wheat shells. So what I could do is buy a box of mac and cheese, like two for a dollar, mm-hmm. and then buy some whole wheat shells and use the cheese powder that I love from Kraft. I was just going to say, if you wanted that, you just buy a big two pounds of whole wheat pasta. Yeah. And then just and then just buy your buy your stuff because for I the hate cheese Annie's packet. Cheese. It does not blend. No, no, it doesn't. And it's and it's gross. 
The question is, will it blend? The answer is no. Well, it's kind of gra- it's gritty, sort it's of. It's gritty, and like some pieces have like lots of cheese on them, and the other ones yeah. don't have any at all, and like. Mm. I'm glad we can talk about these things. And just here's the thing that I've God, learned. We're stupid Americans. No, that's but you know what? I'm okay with it. That's the thing. I really am unashamed. I'm um, just really. I feel like some, I'm free that I don't have to buy Annie's yep. to make myself feel better. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like how I uh, when I, as much as I love macaroni and cheese, I especially grew up eating not even the craft. Uh, my mom would buy the Safeway, the store brand. And so sometimes if there's craft, that's fine. But sometimes, occasionally, sometimes you go to the store and it's just like sold out for whatever reason. I can actually downgrade and go to the Safeway bread. Safeway also sells this boxed uh, macaroni with white uh, cheese, which I like a lot. I know a lot of people don't, but I actually like, like that stuff, too. You like the Alfredo cheese. You like that Yeah, Mac, the so. Alfredo Easy Mac I love. All right, I swear to God, we're going to do like one more, and then we'll bring in Scott Daly. i got to play this Chris Berman thing. Um, yes? Oh, no. Do we have other stuff? Do we have other breaks to do? Damn all these sponsors who want to spend their money on our station. Oh. Damn our appeal to the 18 to 44 male demographic. Yes, sir. Hello, sir. Hi. Hi. What? Uh, what, do you, what do you want? Well, originally I called up to respond to that big fat dummy who called in to, with the news flash about Clarence Clemens being a black guy in, yes. in Springsteen's band. Yeah. But then you started talking about the, uh, the Kraft macaroni and cheese. You guys are all over the map, and I, that's why I love this show. It's what we do, but, sir. But, sir, i got to warn you. If you try to take the the whole wheat uh, noodles from the uh, Annie's and mix them with the Kraft, you're going to end up terribly disappointed because. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Where are you? I regret nothing. What? Why am I going to be disappointed? What? Why? Why you cut out, sir? Because because a big part of why Kraft macaroni cheese is so delicious and wonderful and perfect and beautiful is because they use this totally bleached out, flavorless good macaroni pasta and then what's going to happen is is that the the whole wheat stuff if you use that is going to fight with it and you're you're going to hate it I okay let me understand this so you're saying essentially their cheese is formulated to only work with their pasta absolutely it's like a um, i can see that it's, craft people it's like putting um taco bell taco sauce on a taco time taco that was really dumb <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> Best audience ever. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, we should take a break. Oh. Scott okay. Daly. Uh, Scott Daly, what's the, if you, would you like to enter the studio, Scott Daly? And uh, we'll find out what he's going to be talking about on the other side of this. Um, and then uh, Sarah will place in a break with something here. We'll come back. Tim Riley and uh, It's all Sacks Friday. It is. Hello, Scott Daly. Hello. What's up? Uh, I'm kind of tripping out right now. I just learned that Richie and I went to the same high school together. He graduated what? the year after I did. Really? Yeah, it's really bizarre. Please tell me you have one of your yearbooks. Uh, yeah, somewhere. Please tell me you'll bring it in next time. I will. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Done and done. All right. Uh, what are ye reviewing today? I'm, I, I can't get, I I'm can't sorry. Get that. I'm blowing your mind. I can't get that out of my head. That's okay. tripping me out something fierce. Uh, I know it's been on for a few weeks, but I want to talk about Juno. I haven't seen it. Yay. So. Yeah. 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 And uh, also want to have a little chat with you about uh, a spoiler-free chat about No Country for Old Men. Excellent. So right. thoughts on that. Back with uh, Tim Riley, Scott Daly from... Okay, no, 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 I can see this. Boy, what a great song this is. And I watched the video, and there is a saxophone. Yeah, well, I mean, because they're basically a ska band, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, you know what the great thing is? They have that one guy who does nothing but just dances on stage with them. He's my favorite. Yeah. This is such a great song. Dickie Barrett, the guy who sings for this, this group, talk about a guy with a fire-breathing voice, man. I have an idea for a sax song, too. Really? Okay. I met him once, and he's such an ugly man that he's good-looking. I think he's an attractive man, sort of like Bruce Campbell. He is totally good-looking and really big and beefy. Bruce the chin. 
God, what a great hook this is. This hook is so strong that I don't even mind that the rest of the song is Scott. I love Scott. All right, back after this. Hey you! Don't watch that! Watch this! This is the heavy, heavy monster sound! The nuttiest sound around! So if you're coming off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est, rock steady beat of madness! One step yeah. How can you? Uh, Come on, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh. You know my thing. You know I've tried to like Scott. And Mad- I find it very difficult. Madness always reminds me of uh, commitments. You know, who's your influence? The guy from Madness. Oh yeah, Remember Clarence that? Clemens and the guy from <laughs> the Madness. Guy from Madness. <laughs> That's a great sax. Yeah, I haven't had it long. My uncle gave it to me when his lung collapsed. <laughs> I love that movie. That's a great movie. Kills me. It's, you know what it is? It's just like I'm... Co- it's, you know what it is? Ska is sort of like being colorblind, where people just can't see red. It's like when they show you the circle and they go, do you see the letter five? And you go, no, I don't. Ska is music that I, I listen to and it just doesn't, it doesn't... It's like I lack the receptor for it in my head somehow. I mean, it all seems very well done and pleasant and whatnot. I just can't... I'm not a, I'm it not doesn't a, click with me. I just can't. I've tried. I'm not a Ska fan, but I sure like madness. Ladies, I, like, I like Scarface. Scarface? That's a quite, quite, quite a good film. <laughs> You're out of me. Scarface. <laughs> Scar- I'm trying to think of what that would... <laughs> no, I got nothing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. Scarface. From the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. I, just, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. It seems like, I I like Scarface. That. It seems like, wait, Ska. Ska. <clears throat> what is that? Oh, it, uh, was that band Scapocalypse Now or something? <laughs> Those guys, band names yeah, in, Ska, in the Ska right. world do seem to be pretty great. Scarface. That's fantastic. Well, you'll be pleased to note that the uh, WGA has struck a deal with Lionsgate, which means the crew of Mad Men goes back to work. Yeah! yeah! Excellent, really? So that is good news. Wonderful. So we can deal with Lionsgate. Did you say when the new season of uh, Mad Men starts? Well, that starts next summer. All right. But they they are going to go back to work, though. They yeah, are going back to work. Because they got to write it. So. Do they have any of the next season written? No. You know? Well, I don't know. I don't Tim, so. tell me how this works, if you know, Tim. If I am a Writers Guild member and the Writers Guild is on strike... You're a member, you're, you are a member of the Writers Guild. Since I am a Writers Guild member, the Writers <laughs> Guild is on strike. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that I cannot... Well, you can write. I can but write. You I can't turn in your do work. anything you with correct. it. So, so they can be writing at home right. or working even you, on contracted projects. Least, they just can't I do be, anything with right. it. Right. I would be stockpiling scripts if I was in the creative field of writing at well, this moment. And, right. and frankly, because if you're, I, you know, not to sound snobby about it, but if you're an artist, you, mm-hmm. I mean, it's what you do. You write, you know, Shakespeare. Uh, Hemingway said writers write. So, I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're a writer, you're probably doing it anyway. It would be mm-hmm. tough not to. Right, because it's something you get up every day and do. Yeah, exactly. It's a job. An, eth- an ethical question about that. Do you think any said writer who's on the picket lines, can they write about their experience on the picket lines? They just for can't sell it. Right. They can't well, yeah, sell but it. they just can't. In fact, I think 
once, get it right. Once the script, once the strike is over, can yeah. they then sell? I think it? so. Sure. Yeah, you just can't okay. do it now. You yeah. can't. Right. You cannot exchange goods for uh, for money right now. Right. Services for money. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. So that should make you happy. Wonderful. Uh, knowing that, let's go on to other things. This comes to us out of Russia. Uh, how about a hydrogen peroxide enema? That's what some folks saying at a Russian health report were accidentally. Uh, they were accidentally given this. How are you accidentally given an enema? It's a health report, but we know it's a health resort. <laughs> okay. About a dozen and a half tourists who were visiting the uh, Caucasus Spa were mistakenly loaded up with a hydrogen peroxide during enemas instead of water. So apparently this is some some wonderful thing they have there. The patients had to be hospitalized and treated at the incident, which probably would have made it even worse. The spa explained the mistake was made by saying the water and peroxide look very much alike. <laughs> really? Hydrogen peroxide is often used as a, as a disinfectant. It's also known as a bleaching agent, but it isn't supposed to be ingested. I wonder how long it takes when you're getting a hydrogen, uh, hydrogen peroxide enema to realize that they've like switched tubes. And how long do you think it would take the person to walk straight? Well, that's my other thing is like, I mean. And how would that be noticeable in Russia? I was just, like, like, do you think they hook you up to the machine? And then the nurse is like, you know, I return in half an hour. You enjoy enema. And she turns on the hydrogen and then she leaves. And then it's like she's in the hallway and hears the screaming. But just like, Maybe you know. Maybe it's the KGB. He's busy reading Pravda and can't be bothered to get up and come and see exactly what's inflaming the patient's sensitive area. For a vodka smoke break. Yeah, seriously. And meanwhile, you're a patient strapped to a table being enemized by hydrogen peroxide. That sounds so awful. Right that's a smell. That's a great story. It's life in Russia. And you wanted to go on vacation there. Well, I think that's pretty much the answer. That is from a resort. That is something special for the honored guests. <laughs> That's a perk. That's really only if you're in the Golden Circle. I'm going. To, I'm going to Prague the summer <sighs> of my 40th birthday. That's about as close to Russia as I'm getting. Now, why are you going to Prague? Because it's Prague. Now, go, it is a nice city. It's not it's a beautiful. Answer. No, it's a beautiful it's city. It's a nice city. All the architecture, okay. the, the old streets, the history. All right. Um, Churches the, uh, and whatnot. My best friend Dave and I are going to spend a week there on our 40th birthday. Okay. Over the summer. Fair yeah. enough. And uh, so that's as close as Russia as I'm going to get, though. Especially after that story, because nothing says be like a European vacation so after an enema. All right. That'll do it for now. Before you go, do you want to hear Chris Berman go crazy on on television? Oh, I do, yes. All right. So this is uh, Chris Berman, who's an anchor on the he's on CNN, uh, a sportscaster, uh, and he you know he's a sports center Monday night countdown Sunday yeah, NFL the, uh, baseball tonight football uh, ESPN football game uh, video games too. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. He is in the uh, but he's still on ESPN now. So this is him uh, not knowing. This is my favorite kind of thing. Not knowing the cameras running. And I guess they're getting ready. They're like tested. They're in pre-show mode. You know, they're getting ready to, to tape yeah, something. It was one of the, the uh, cheaper camera models with the tally light on top. Yeah, exactly. You ever been in the studio like that oh, before? Yeah. And the guy points. No, it's this one. Yeah. Oh, it's that one. And you don't know. Uh -huh. So uh, they're getting ready to, to do the show. Uh, and I get the feeling it's a pre-taped bit. But he's like get, getting ready to do it. And apparently someone sort of walked in front of you know, ducked under the camera and sort of walked in front of him. And like wa somebody walked in his field of vision. You know, like, took him out of show mode for a moment. And I guess this is, you know, he just went mental about it. So this is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you sportscaster Chris Berman. When I'm doing TV and I got 18, God damn it, can't everybody stop for 10 minutes? I mean, everybody seems that that's the only, everybody can we stick, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's not that much to ask. Is that when everybody has to move when I'm trying to concentrate? Jesus. And you guys thought I was a pain. I mean, that's so rude. I can't believe it. That's it's so goddamn rude. Just why does everyone all of a sudden have to move? That two f hours to move around. Wait ten minutes. <laughs> Jesus. 
I'm sorry to explode by that, but that's it's like no one's ever worked on TV here before. <laughs> Jesus. What the f*** do they think I'm doing? <laughs> I can almost see the veil of his forehead popping. I, I really, I actually can't believe what I just saw. Not now. It's like no one here has worked on TV before. I hear a dial tone. And there were seven people, though. I mean, Jesus. We need to use the studio for 15 minutes. Just everybody, you know. What's that? Excellent. So there you go. Uh, I think we need to order an extra Russian enema. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history Woo! of the world, back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, top of the air all the way through like us. All right, we're here with uh, Scott Daly, Film Free Radio. First of all, you guys got uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, we uh, we recorded our, our, our commentary last weekend of Big Trouble in Little China with uh, Court and Fatboy, the mighty Court and Fatboy show, KUFO, at courtandfatboy.com. And uh, Jason and Aaron from uh, Vanish Twin, as well as Mailman Chris and Film Free Radio's lovely production assistant, Kat. Now, I haven't seen Big Trouble in Little China for years. Which I hadn't either. I didn't tough. go to the commentary because uh -huh. I didn't want to be the guy just watching the movie. It was tough for me, too, because it's yeah. Been at least ten years, yeah. but as soon as we started watching it, we were into it. Here's the thing, though: is it posted now? It's posted now, and you can take it. You can you can go to filmpeopleradio.com right now, download the commentary, load it into your MP3 player, and, and where will they go tonight? Go to the Baghdad tonight, and there that'd be the go. cool thing about it. Yeah, you can actually load up uh, the the commentary on your iPod or whatever. Go to the Baghdad tonight, and then as soon as they start rolling the movie in the screen, you hit play on the commentary. You got it, you and got you'll it. have the Film Fever Radio commentary going along with the movie on the big screen, exactly. which is really cool. Exactly, so. and both Aaron and I are going to be there tonight at the uh, midnight movie. And uh, yeah, so it was it was a really good time. We we take about two month break from the. Uh, Com from the commentaries due to holidays and other happenings. Um, and so I thought we might be a little rusty getting back into it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it's, oh, I, I heard it went really well. Form. I heard it was good. <laughs> it was so. very good, yeah. Uh, and in February, we're going to do an all-female commentary. Dirty woman? For, for, no, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. All right. That's fine. I'm not a woman, so it's not my yeah, place to exactly, judge. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so, but yeah, so uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, download that now. I finally saw No Country for Old Men. Fantastic. Liked Damn, it a lot. Uh, I liked it. I saw that and There Will Be Blood in the same weekend. Ooh, that was um, a big weekend. Yeah, it really was. No, actually, I saw three <laughs> movies. I thought I saw There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, and Once. Uh, oh, my Lord. Once was really good. Yeah, I need to see um, that. It's, it's on DVD, yeah. Uh, you need Once after seeing the other two. No uh, Because the other two are just such, like, you know, they're just, like, big kicks to the groin. Once is available on DVD, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's really right. good. Um, the um, uh, But No Country for Old Men was, was really good. I think, like a lot of people, the ending is sort of polarizing because... I know they're very faithful to the novel, mm -hmm. and the novel ends very abruptly. It's sort of like build, 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 bam, ending. Not unlike Zodiac. Right. Zodiac kind of has that same sort of ending where they, they, they sort of deliberately leave you unsatisfied because it starts to sum up the existential nature. Without getting into too many spoilers about No Country for Old Men, um, to me, I like the ending. It was a perfect wrap on the film because the last 15 minutes of the film it turns into a completely different film, right. and it's really a story they want to tell. Right. Um, and, and I really like the way they did that. Uh, I, I don't think anyone, except, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson and There Will Be Blood, could pull that off like the Coen brothers. Josh man. Brolin was really good. and Isn't I've never, he great? I have never really felt one way or the other about that guy, even yeah. in, like, Grindhouse, you know, and whatever, and uh, um, Grindhouse, and what was, the, what was the other thing he was in just recently? 
Josh Brolin was in something else just recently. I forget what it was. But no, I can't remember. He didn't make much, much of an impression on me one way or the other. He was really good in No he Country for Old Men. He made his first impression for me in Grindhouse and Planet Terror. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw No Country for Old Men, and he's, he's, he's on my list. He's, he's very good. I think, and I know everybody raves about Javier Bardem, you know, his, which is great. So but I, to me, Josh Brolin is the best thing about the film. He was very believable, and he took what could have been a collection of stereotypes and made it really uh, mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there will be blood. That's just an astonishing. Oh, film. that movie. I, I, I'm torn. Uh, we're, we're having our, our Film Fever Radio Booyah Awards coming up here in a few weeks. That is right. And, and um, we'll have ten categories. And two of the categories are best film, my choice, best film, Aaron's choice, where people don't get to vote. That's our decision. And I'm really torn between No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. It's really a toss-up The for thing me. about There Will Be Blood, and I was talking to Corden Fatboy about this last night, is every time Paul Thomas Anderson makes a film... You do get the feeling that he's go like Springsteen said this thing when Springsteen did Born to Run. He said he was trying to write the greatest rock song in the history of the world. Right. And I get the feeling every time P.T. Anderson makes a film, he's trying to make the best film that's ever been made. Like he's trying to make the best motion picture in history. Do you think he was trying that with Punch Drunk Love? I don't. I think with Punch Drunk Love, he was just coming off a weird. He was like hungover from making Boogie well, Nights and Magnolia, yeah, and I think he was Magnolia, kind of trying man. to find himself a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but but man, there will be blood. It's like. It's like one big roundhouse punch to your face. It is so good. It's so brutal. And, and what's so great about it, and, and again, you know, you put this guy in any film, it's going to be golden. It's Danny Day-Lewis. Yeah. I mean, his performance in that film He's just blew me away. I think I might I think I might go see it again this week. I, I, I'm going to try to It's it. It's yeah. got this sequence, and I'm not spoiling anything, but it's about an oil, you know, it's, it's about an oil man and his desire to you know, build an oil empire. But there's this sequence about halfway through when one of the oil derricks catches on fire. Oh, yeah. And it takes about nine minutes for them to, to cap it and put it out, and it's probably the nine most suspense-filled minutes that I've had recently in theaters. <laughs> yeah, and, it just, and the music is just all of this weird percussion, and it mm-hmm. just keeps layering and building and getting louder. I mean, it, And then it ends, and you kind of go, ah, and you realize you were sort of tense the whole time. I believe his name is Chris Greenwood from uh, Radiohead. No, it's, the score. it's, it's uh, Robert Greenwood. I Robert think his Greenwood, name. okay. Johnny Greenwood. Johnny, Johnny Greenwood. There you go, that's it. And he did the score. It's a beautiful score. And he's not going to get nominated for I it. No. Um, which, is, which is bad. We're going to break here in a second. We come back. Somebody about China, somebody about transvestites, and a mystery caller. So, uh, plus a little bit about Juno uh, with uh, Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio. Stay there. We'll be back. <laughs> Part time lover? Man-eater? Okay. I always confuse this with Part-Time Lover by Stevie Wonder. I can see that. Part-Time Lover. Totally. I always confuse these two. All right. Terrible fun. Stay there. Back after this. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day. Final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. So much. You're listening to the Savage Nation, or whatever. Oh boy. Ah, uh, we were. You like the song? This is a good song. I love that. It was a huge hit. I'll give you that. Uh, uh, the sax part's the best part. The rest of yeah. No, that's the best part. Really, that whole song rests on that. Uh, we we honored our commitment. I'll sax all the time. Ugh, everything's about sex. I, I keep, I keep, I mean, it's like I kept thinking we would run out of songs at some point, sadly. We did not. Uh, we'll talk about Juno in a second. Hi, uh, Amanda. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, Rick. Hello, hey, hey. You're going to kill yourself for this, but um, Josh Brolin also was in American Gangster. That's right. And shot a dog in both of the movies. That's right. He's a dog shooter. He was fantastic in American Gangster. That's right. I forgot about that. He was a sleazy guy taking that mustache. 
And the yep. grease back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's right. Good job. Man. Well done, Amanda. Thank you. Look at you. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right, Juno. Um, uh, in fact, I see that soundtrack is number one this week. Yeah. Uh, that soundtrack is the number big, one album in the big country. Deal. It's like. Sarah I raved about it, about the soundtrack and the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I haven't been avoiding it. It's just I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. So I'm going to try to see that in the next, you know, uh, I know Laura wants to see Go it. Go to so. Cinemagic and see it. Okay. It's still playing at Cinemagic, a 20-person Hawthorne. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Juno, is. Uh, it's been out for a while. Everyone knows the story. A girl gets pregnant in high school uh, by Michael Sarah. She decides to give the kid up for adoption um, to parents, uh, Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman. Um, standout performance, I would have to say, is Ellen Page, who right. was nominated for an Oscar. I don't see the film being best picture quality. I think Little Miss Sunshine kind of started this trend last year right. of little quirky independent films getting nominated for best picture, which is fine. Beats any old period piece as far as I'm concerned. Um, Juno is a very, very good film. Uh, the script, first time screenwriter, her name is Diablo Cody. Uh, Diablo she, Cody, yeah, really? She's a stripper from Minnesota. I, I think, remember actually. reading about that. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's a great cool. name. It's a great name. Um, and it's it's a it's a very it's a very nice, very funny, uh, warm little film, and uh, uh, great performances all the way around. Um, so Juno, I really really enjoyed. I assume Sarah did too. So yeah, the, she oh, raved yeah. about yeah, it. So nice. a lot of times. So. No, it's on yeah. the short list. So I got to see that. Uh, and I'm gonna. Uh, I, I got. I need to see Michael Clayton still. Michael Clayton's a good movie. It's not. I don't think it's best picture quality. I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's a solid film. It's a really good sort of John Grisham type corporate legal yeah. thriller. Well, it's, Clooney, Clooney. I love legal so thrillers. I really do. I it's a lot like you know the firm that kind of a thing. I, I don't get the the best picture thing. Um, okay, final call, uh, Charlie. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Yeah, Rick. That uh, you had a caller earlier. Kept seeing transvestites everywhere. Yes. Well, I tried to uh, find uh, Timmy Ryan's website, so I typed into Google in one word, Tim Ryan Radio, uh-huh. and it suggested, "Do you mean tranny radio?" Did it really say that? <laughs> it really did. What is Tim Ryan's website? Well, more importantly, what is tranny radio? I didn't click through on that. I'm going to do that today. Uh, it is MySpace.com/slash Tim Ryan Radio. Fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Best show ever. Thank you, my friend. All right, no time to be fair to another caller. If you're on hold, I apologize. Uh, give us a ring, as they say on Monday. Talk to you then. Uh, FilmFeverRadio.com. Yes, sir. Uh, new show up. Right new now. show up. Uh, and Court and Fatboy's Midnight Movie tonight at 11 o'clock at the Baghdad Big Trouble in Little China. Come on, uh, we want to thank CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, Desjardins. <laughs> Desjardins, who joined us today. Um, Anyang. Uh, join us next week. We'll talk more about the Spam-A-Lot contest, which is drawn to a close in about 90 seconds. Get your entry in in the next two minutes, my friends. Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 70 Solid State Radio, proud part of the CBS Radio family in the newsroom. Tim Riley on the phones. It's Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper's Dave Zinn. Bridget, uh, Bridget from upstairs is our imagerist. And Susan Reynolds, CBS Radio Portland Marketing Guru. Have a good weekend. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. See you Monday. Bye now.